0: to highlights from The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM.
1: And a very good morning to you. Friday. Friday, thank Crunchy and all that. And it looks like the weather is in for dramatic improvement. You heard it there in the news. And I'm looking at my ever-reliable weather app, The Dark Sky, which tells me that that wet stuff that's still hanging around will dissipate and disappear. And the next time we'll see a decent stop of it will be sometime around... This day week, we're down for some dry, warm and sunny days to come over the next 12. God, we've earned them. We've certainly earned them. 1850-715-996 is the number. The text or WhatsApp is 83 396 96 96. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. I haven't done this in a very, very long time. And I have a sense of dread uh, when I do this. And that is to do the numbers. We used to do them every morning. At the very start of this pandemic, we did the numbers every morning as the cases went up and up and up. And during lockdown, we did it practically every day. We stopped doing it because the virus came under control. The R number came down and we started to release or be released from lockdown. And now we're back into some worrying times i'll hold off on doing the numbers though because i managed to get the specific cork numbers but before i do that i will bring in dr nula o'connor uh, who's the covid lead of the irish council of general practitioners and of course a cork gp nula good morning to you and nice to talk again good morning pj have we caused a concern uh, 69 cases yesterday uh, five deaths announced although four of those were back in april In June, 10 people in hospital, 5 people in the ICU and, as Dr Ronan Glynn says, a specific problem in the counties of Kildare, Offaly and Leash.
2: 137 cases were in Kildare, with 111 in Dublin, 53 in Leash, 36 in
1: Offaly. Do we need to be worried, Nuala?
3: Uh, Yes, we do definitely need to be um, uh, concerned because there has been a sharp increase in the last week. And as you mentioned there, you know, we we all saw the numbers coming down. We all got relieved And, and particularly in late June and for most of July. Very little cases. But what we noticed, um, certainly in, in, in the GP world, um, that in the last two weeks, the number of people that we were seeing with symptoms suggestive of COVID started to go up GP body. You know, there was So let's say um, at the start of July, we'd have always had less than 100 notifications every day. On the Tuesday of the bank holiday, it was 298 okay so you know a big jump up in that and uh, in the last 14 days there's been a, a, a nationally uh, there's been an increase particularly sharp in the last week um about half of those uh, cases uh, in the last two weeks are located in the three counties you mentioned Kildare Leish and Offaly but at the same time there are cases actually in 20 counties so yeah while there's a particular concern in, in those counties, I think this is a wake-up call to all of us, uh, PG, because you know, COVID-19 is still out there. We see it's accelerating around the world. Aberdeen closed down this week. Melbourne has closed down. Yeah. Part of Spain closed down. Um, the lockdown, that's, we all want to avoid going back there. We do.
1: Now, going down further into those cases, we, we, we learned that there's a particular problem in food processing in meat and in direct provision and, and that that can account, those areas can account for a sizable percentage of the new figures in, in the Midlands and the community transmission is community transmission, i.e. the simple definitions, we don't know where I got it from. Uh, is that is that still low? Yeah, I mean, it's it
3: sort of, it, it just London in a way to explain, the only positive thing that you could say about the increased cases in those counties is that for the vast majority of them, we know where they are. We know that they're they're, they're part of outbreaks which are related in particular to some um, uh, food processing and a lot of the cases are because of effective contact tracing. So uh, the the people who were positive were identified their close contacts have been tracked and traced and isolated. Um, But there's quite a lot of asymptomatic cases in there. So the the concern now is that there's a kind of a reservoir of of, of, almost like a pool of virus in those counties and it's predominantly young people Um, and so the concern would be is, you know, what Maybe social activities people might have been doing um, that while at the moment the actual community transmission uh, is still low we want to keep it that way yeah. and the way to keep it that way is that we all need to get back to the basics and be very vigilant about the basics and we, it, you know, because we have this, if anyone gets symptoms and no matter how mild they are it can just be one symptom yeah. uh, there was a case um, a, a GP was telling me about where all it was his, the, the patient had just a kind of funny sense of smell metallic taste really kind of almost a very trivial Was apologising for contacting that turned out to be a positive case yeah. so if you have any fever if you have any cough just a nuanced cough it doesn't have to be a severe cough um, if you have a, a shortness of breath or a distorted sense of taste or smell Just pick up the phone and contact your GP. You don't need to come in to us, most of the time we can talk to people over the phone. But most importantly, you need to take yourself out of our circulation.
1: At the very start of this, we had confusion over what symptoms you needed to get a test. Uh, You had to have two or more, then you had to have one. Then the taste and smell was in and it wasn't in. And it was taking forever to get a test and forever to get a result. I see in the in the weeks or in the week ahead, in particular, Dr. O'Connor, we have uh, an improvement in the weather, which we'll all welcome, but yeah. which will bring with it hay fever uh, and and. You could be people could think, well, what's about a hay fever? So That's all that is. It's just hay yeah. fever. Like yeah. you could and have a we, lot of people ringing doctors yeah. with a lot of nonsense, like.
3: Yeah. No. Well, I don't think we don't consider it nonsense. I mean, this is a time um, you know, we want people to come forward. I right. mean, obviously, it is hay fever season. So if if you tend to suffer from hay f- fever and aren't already taking your antihistamines or using your nasal spray or your eye drops, then please start doing that now. Because uh, that, you know, if you suppress your hay fever symptoms, well, then you know that your symptoms. Are not from hay fever, but a lot of them are quite similar. So we need people to come forward, um, and we and people will need to go for testing if they do have symptoms. Yeah. Um, I mean, fortunately, you know, we're sending a lot of people for tests, but the positive, the number of positive tests is still quite low. It's only about one point eight percent, whereas at the height of this is about eighteen yeah. percent. But the other good thing about the weather is that if the weather is getting better, then we can do. The most important thing that we need to do, which is to stay outdoors, because with, particularly with these the asymptomatic um, uh, cases where you, somebody might not know that they have it, it's all about keeping your distance. And yeah. the highest risk is when you're in an indoor, closed, poorly ventilated, crowded space. Yeah. That's why the big concern is about house parties, you know, and, and you know, we've got... To enjoy uh, getting back to freedoms, we can go, we can meet our friends, we can sit outside at a restaurant, we can we can go and and uh, staycation and you know um, avail of lovely parts um, of our wonderful country. Um, but we have to avoid situations where it is crowded and it's indoors. And so, what I my message to people out there is, you know, if you walk in somewhere. No, it could be a uh, you know a, a restaurant uh, or, or a public venue, and you think, gosh, there seem to be a lot of people here. I don't see the staff wearing masks. The tables seem to be close together. You turn around and walk out. If you
1: don't feel comfortable, don't stay.
3: Yeah, and particularly at a house party, because there's no if you're invited to a house, and as you know, it's meant to be ten people. Um, so if you're invited to a house and you expect that this is what you're going into, and you walk in and you think there's a lot more people here than I thought. You, no matter how embarrassing it is, you turn around and you walk away because that's the best way to keep yourself safe.
1: Now, how would you feel about the idea of local lockdowns, local restrictions? It's in the papers this morning that Taoiseach is interviewed in the Irish Independent. He's not ruling it out. Now, when Micheál Martin says he's not ruling something out, it generally means he's considering it. So, so would a local lockdown say in those presently troublesome counties... Would that help? Would you be in favour of it?
3: Well, I think the decision about uh, lockdowns is one for the National Public Health Emergency Team uh, to take in conjunction with the government. That's not for something for me. But we know that it well, is... Well, you're
1: amazing. in a very serious senior position, Dr O'Connor. Yeah. I think your your opinion would carry some weight.
3: Well, I think the most important thing for the moment is that people actually go behave a step below that. That they, that they already start to restrict their movements and particularly those who are vulnerable and you, you'll have seen that, um, uh, Dr. Ronan Glain appealed especially to those who are in the vulnerable categories in those counties to really limit their social contacts, to avoid public transport, to be very careful about maintaining their social distancing and the hand hygiene and the etiquette and to anyone who has contact with, with the vulnerable, vulnerable people again to remain extremely vin- vigilant. So it's almost to act um, as, as if one were close to but not, in, not in, in, in lockdown. But it has come to that in other countries. I hope it won't come to that here because none of us want to go back to that. And we must remember is that you know, Ireland got on top of this virus and the only way we got on this top of this virus is because we had the cooperation of every single citizen in this country and we didn't have to do restrictive measures. We didn't actually have to um, make legal enforcements. We didn't have to have fines. We didn't have to have you know, no, the We had a fairly light-fingered
1: lockdown, to be fair. We had a fairly light touch lockdown.
3: Well, we had because the Irish public got on board in an amazing way. You know, yeah. in an amazing, even the amount of people who downloaded the COVID um, app, and again, that's another thing If people haven't done it. They should do it should now. Do it. There, was,
1: there I mean, was a huge take-up on that.
3: Yeah. Astounding compared yeah. to how it has been in other countries, and that is just a measure of um that community solidarity that we have in Ireland and We just need to, you know, all all we need to do this is just a little wake up call okay, everybody needs to be careful, watch your distance avoid the crowded space, make sure you wear a mask uh, when you're on public transport or in a a retail setting, make sure you wash those hands, keep them away from your face Um, and just again learn, we all have to learn how to live with COVID-19, it hasn't gone away we've got to learn to live with it safely and so, because the most important thing um, um, on on a lot of people is we want to get the schools open we want to get the the third level education open. You've just
1: anticipated my next question Dr O'Connor and it's this, You mentioned crowded indoor spaces with sometimes poor ventilation. I can think of many classrooms that would fit that description. Are you worried about schools reopening at this point? Can it be done in 25 days' time?
3: I think it can be done in 25 days' time. I think there have been uh, a a number of initiatives taken. There are guidelines now for the schools. And you must remember, I know that some of our our school premises, like some of our hospital premises, um, you know, Yes, they could do with upgrading, but there are lots of things that we can do. I mean, the best way to ventilate some places is open the windows. So every building has windows that they can open, you know, um, and, and people can distance within in the schools. Children can be doing hand hygiene and there may or may not be some use of masks as well. That's that's being discussed at the moment as how much mask, particularly in the secondary school children. Um, so... The other thing is that the European Centre of Disease Control—they uh, will be publishing some guidelines shortly, based on a lot of the international um, evidence. Because what we're lucky in Ireland is that there are other parts of the world that are ahead of us you know, that have gone to full school opening
1: mm-hmm. and
3: partial school opening. We can
1: learn yes. from them, perhaps.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, so we yeah. can learn from from, from things that, that didn't work so well and from things that worked well. Which countries. puts us in
1: a position to make to make a plan. Another area that people are very concerned about, again, the evidence is there from... Uh, Leish and Offaly and and Kildare, but we have quite a number of them in Cork too, uh, very crowded settings, uh, direct provision centres.
3: Yes, yes.
4: Are you concerned?
1: Do you have a position on it?
3: Well, we are concerned, but there are a lot of uh, measures in in, in place. Uh, There's been a lot more um, education and one of the difficulties in direct provision is I think that some of the materials initially, uh, there was a language barrier there, so there's been a huge Um, effort in producing uh, videos uh, in in all sorts of of languages uh, more materials, more education so that people understand what it is that they need to do. There is also uh, indirect provision, uh, there is a mechanism now for people who are in vulnerable age groups or people who are healthcare workers or for people, and um, uh, maybe working in, in an area where there's a concern about an outbreak that they can go to single room accommodation, um, in in a different area. So there's a lot of work going on, uh, indirect uh, provision, uh, uh, centres to make sure uh, that those who are residing there are kept safe.
1: Okay. Can I focus briefly before we finish on Cork, uh, Dr. O'Connor, because I went through the official data hub this morning, the government's official data hub, and it can be difficult to go after specifics, but I spent some time at it. And it showed me that between July 31st and August 4th, across Cork City and County, there were five new cases. And since this day of fortnight, last Friday, the 23rd of July, there have been 12 new cases. So we in Cork at the moment are not in any specific danger, you would think, would you not?
3: No, we're, no at the moment, fortunately, in Cork, the numbers are low. But what I am... Is seeing in practice and hearing from other GPs around the city is that they are referring more people for tests. There's more people with symptoms out there. Fortunately, as you say, the tests are still very low, the number of positive tests is still very low. And so this is the time when we all need to be vigilant because we want to keep it that way in court. And we can do. It. So, uh, as I as I mentioned already, T.J. And just to leave the final thing with your visitors, uh, make sure that you keep your distance. Mm. Make sure that uh, you avoid crowded, poorly ventilated spaces. Turn around and walk away if it doesn't feel safe. It's not safe. Put on your mask if you're going into a shop or you're taking public transport wash your hands, keep them away from your face, and if you feel a cough or a sneeze coming on, cough into your elbow. And most important, two final importance, if you develop any type of symptom, there's only one symptom, a fever, cough, shortness of breath, uh, a dis- change in your sense of taste or smell, pick up the phone and contact your GP, but take yourself out of circulation.
1: And uh, yeah, lastly to... and briefly, I think it's a fair to adage you will not be wasting your doctor's time.
3: No. You won't. You won't be wasting your doctor's time. And the other thing is that if you are identified as a close contact and you're offered a test, please do go for that test. People are are we. we people are not going forward for the test always. Now, we know it's an unpleasant test, but it's only a couple of seconds. And the other thing is that it's two tests if you're a close contact. You need to go for the one on day zero and day seven because we're now identifying all the close contacts within three days and referring them for testing. You may still only be incubating the symptoms. So if your first test is negative, you could still be incubating the system the symptoms. You need to keep yourself out of circulation and away from from work for 14 days. You need to have that second test and that's really important.
1: All right, listen, I'll leave it there because I've taken up a lot of your time. Dr. Nuala O'Connor, Cork GP and of course the COVID-19 lead for the Irish Council of General Practitioners. Nuala, thank you very much for your time this morning. I think her message is we're not doing too bad in Cork right now. We're, numbers are relatively low. Let us keep them there. Let us keep them there. It's up to us to do it. Just go over them again. Uh, That hub that the government has set up is updated quite frequently. The the latest figures I could find on it this morning were for the 4th, or August the 4th, which was what? Tuesday, wasn't it? So they report every evening and they knock up the numbers in the evening time. So between July... Yesterday I told you that in July there were about 12 to 20-something cases in July. It was a small... No, a small figure. I think 27 cases for the whole of July in Cork. Well, between the 31st of July and the 4th of August, we had five new cases confirmed. Take it back two weeks, this is Friday, take it back two weeks to Friday the 23rd of July. We Since then, we've had 12 cases. New cases confirmed in Cork. So the numbers are low. And bear in mind, we have a population across the city and county of half a million people. So our numbers are low, and the advice to us... From the doctors is that we need to keep them there we need to work to keep them there let's go back to the basic things and i think we should probably go back to the basics as i was reminding you for weeks on end wash your hands keep your distance mind one another and as dr o'connor said if you are going out tonight if you've planned to go out tonight i have gone out tonight meeting a friend or two for a bite to eat maybe a pint if that place looks too crowded Walk away. Don't walk into crowds. Don't take yourself into a situation where you might end up in trouble. Bit of personal responsibility. Callers in the fast food restaurant in North Cork yesterday. There was people ignoring the arrows, for God's sake, jumping over the barriers. Clusters of people gathering beside other clusters and not one member of staff said anything to them. Kevin says we can be frightened by the national figures, but the local numbers show we should be reasonably confident. I'd add careful to that, Kevin. That's why the breakdown has to be done from a local perspective. Uh, People can't distance in school. Decades of underinvestment in education now coming home to roost. With the highest pupil-teacher ratio, the smallest physical classrooms, not enough substitutions, and the smallest percentage of our budget spent on education. It's going to be a complete mess, says Graham. Is that Graham Manning, regular contributor on the show? 1850-715-996. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Another caller says they should just shut down the off licences, or at least regulate them heavily. They're causing a lot of the problems, not the other sectors. The vulnerable sectors should not have to suffer a second time round. It's just not fair. We've been giving it a chance as a co- as a country, and we're not taking it.
0: This is Courts Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
5: Text or WhatsApp now.
0: Oe 33969696 On Courts 96 FM.
1: I'll come back to COVID-19 later on in the morning talking to a man who thinks, in fact he's fairly certain, that one of the things the government instructed last week will only drive up the number of house parties. That's later. Uh, I also I'm going to give some thought over the weekend to maybe doing the Cork numbers specific Cork numbers a bit more often as we, as we go forward. But I want to move on for now. If you were down on Dyke Parade Tuesday afternoon you might have seen something unusual. Um, Megan was walking past a house uh, it's a fairly well known house it's, it's where the lads from the Connolly youth movement live and outside it she spotted what she thought was a protest. Hi, Megan. Hi there. Now, are you not affiliated in anywhere with the house?
6: No, not at all. I was simply just walking past.
1: Right, OK. And and what did you see?
6: Um, so basically the, the four men just caught my attention straight away because one of the men was wearing a big biker jacket with the words, Fear God, written across them, and he had a megaphone, while another man had a Bible. So straight away I kind of thought something had to be up. So I kind of watched them as they stopped outside of the house and they began protesting. And at first I had no problem. they allowed to protest. I'd be hypocritical if they said they couldn't. But what they started saying was just truly disgusting. Um, they started shouting into the megaphone words like, Oh, you dirty faggots, you have to get out of here. You're all little perverts. Um, they started saying stuff like, If there's any Muslims inside, that you better come out and not like be inside there. <clears throat>
1: It's a photograph here on Facebook um, of a number of men standing there. Uh, Seal Neheron is, is yeah. the name of the group. Um, and it, very disturbing things being shouted.
6: It was, everything they were saying was derogatory and hateful. Like you know, There was no actual adult or civil protest. It was completely just pure hate speech.
1: Did you? This might be a silly question. Did you approach any of them?
6: Um, initially I'd wanted to, um, but then I realized there was one me and four grown angry men, and I kind of didn't want to take the... At what age men were they? I'm 21, but they, uh, looked around in their their thirties.
1: Right, right. Right. So were they, were they all Irish people?
6: Um, I assume so. I mean, Were they local, do you think? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen one or two of them around town before, so...
1: Yeah, so clearly they they were they were up to whatever they were up to. Megan, thanks very much. I'm going to talk to to, uh, to Rourke, who who actually I think lives in in that house. Megan, thank you very much for your call. Uh, Rourke, you're on the opinion line. You live in that house, do you?
7: I do, yeah. Okay.
1: Do you know who these people are?
7: Um. Yeah, we've encountered Sheila Heron quite a few times now at the stage. They popped up in Cork about two months ago, and since then have been spreading hateful rhetoric about. Muslim people, about black people, they have on their website that they think black and Muslim people should be sent home, um, and that they reject that uh, LGBT people should have the rights that they have. They seem to think that they have too many rights at the moment, which is quite strange. So they've been spreading these strange beliefs. They think coronavirus is a hoax. So we've been organizing counter-demos whenever we see them out, and have been handing out counter-information to what they're saying. So that's all we've been doing.
1: And is that why you think they targeted... Had they, they targeted the house before?
7: No, this is the first time they've done this. Um, it is it is definitely... Um, it is definitely the reason uh, that they've done it. Um, they get very frustrated when we show up to their stalls handing out counter-information. counter, counter, counter information. One individual in particular is uh, very sick sick of seeing us. Mm. Um, they tend to get quite aggressive towards our members. Um, our members and supporters have been; their lives have been t- threatened on two, maybe three occasions before a comrade. Careful of mine
1: now I- about making those allegations, Rourke. To 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 claim that someone's life has been threatened, you know, you're, you're accusing someone of making a death threat. So careful with the language there. Do you know but well, okay. certain people have felt there. intimidated by them, perhaps.
7: Yeah, they have made they have made certain statements against us, against us that are intimidating that are threatening. Uh they slapped a phone, one of their supporters slapped a phone out of my friend's hand. Okay. So that's that's what we're dealing with that's at the moment.
1: Intimidating. Yeah, yeah. Just the house in particular, um how many of you live there?
7: Um seven of
1: us seven. at the moment. Okay. Okay. So, like, they're targeting a small group. It's not like, it's not like there's 30 or 40 of you there, like.
7: No, they're not. And they're targeting a group of mostly late teens, early 20-year-old people who, they don't seem to have any real criticisms of us occupying the house. They just don't like us for criticising what they're doing in the streets.
1: Well, I guess and as, they, as members of the Connolly youth movement, which would be, it's fair to say, isn't it, a left-wing organisation, you, you would have diametrically opposite views to theirs.
7: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But I don't see that as an excuse to show up to our Oh, no, no,
1: no, no. Nor am I even them. suggesting it for a split second, no. 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 So did well, they eventually go away?
7: They did. I don't think they stayed very long. They weren't very members very many members in the house at the time so and they were kind of egging us to come out and i don't think anyone did so they got bored they were after packing up their stall a bit earlier and i think they were heading home anyways yeah so i think it was just a last minute stop from the accents
1: on the megaphone do you think they're from cork or, or would they have travelled from other parts of the country
7: um we we have information that suggests they're in cork I won't say kind of whereabouts, but most of them are from Cork, yeah, from what we understand. Right.
1: Okay. All right, Rourke, leave it there for now. Thanks very much. That's Rourke from the Connolly Youth Movement. We've seen a bit of this, and I'm not connecting the two at all, but earlier in the summer, you'll recall that incident in Carrigaline. I won't go into it, but in the the days after that, our coverage on, on this program. Uh, went down a particular road which upset some people Uh, and I personally, and Deirdre too I think, Fergal to a lesser extent but he's not that active on Twitter but I was trolled mercilessly I have arthritis in me blocking finger from blocking people for the few days after that and we had visits to outside 96FM on a couple of occasions we were gone, we were out of the building well, most of the time so this isn't unusual that if you it wasn't I don't think it was this group but if you go against a certain narrative that these people want you to follow they'll they'll turn up and try to intimidate you 1857159916 needless to say we weren't intimidated
0: this is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call
5: us now,
8: 1850
0: 715 996. On Court's
1: 96 FM. Finn says, what, would all these, what is with all these head the balls? I've never been so many gobshites irate about nothing. <laughs> You're not wrong lad, you're not wrong. 185715996. Story in the last few days that Gardaí have seized thousands of euro worth of suspected cocaine and cannabis, vape pens and cannabis jellies at a premises in Cork City. A Man was arrested and uh, that case is is ongoing. But of particular interest there was jellies. Yeah. Jellies literally they look like bags of jellies that kids would eat or that you'd have yourself at the cinema or watch in the deli uh, is this a new thing i can't say i've come across it before nicole ryan from alex's adventure hi nick hi pj how are you good you've come across this
9: uh yeah i suppose jellies and edibles aren't a new thing they've been around for ages um, but what's kind of scary is that they they do look like, you know, little jelly babies or any type of jellies like Harry Haribo's. They come in similar packaging as well.
8: Mm.
9: So if I'm a five-year-old or six-year-old kid and I just look at the packaging, which is, you know, colorful and lovely, um, I probably can't read at that stage. So even if it does say THC, a child's going to see it and just going to eat it as jellies. Um, and that's where the trouble is going to start.
1: Sounds like the the drug equivalent of, of an alcohol pop. It could start you down a very yeah. bad road.
9: Yeah, basically. It's kind of the same. Um, and what's the problem? What's the biggest problem with jellies or any edible is that it works the same as cannabis, I suppose, but it takes a, a lot longer for it to kick in. So once you eat it, it can take up to three hours for it to peak. So if you're eating the jellies and you're not getting the effect, that you think that you're going to get because smoking is different to eating it, Um, you end up eating a lot, so overconsumption can happen. And then when it does hit, it's really kind of, I suppose, it's bad because you can have panic attacks, you can have um, psychosis and hypermesis syndrome, which which is like uncontrollable vomiting. God with this, um, but yeah, for kids it's really dangerous, and we've had this with, you know, um, ecstasy tablets, when kids find ecstasy tablets, they look like teddy bears, they look like sweets, and they've come close to dying from eating this stuff so it is really, really dangerous, and you know, I can't emphasize enough how you need, like, parents need to start talking to their kids yeah. about this because I did a workshop actually with our sixth class students out in Kerry last year, and I remember I was telling them about, you know, ecstasy and sweets and you know what are these and what do they look like and they're like oh they look like jellies oh they're great (laughs) Mm. and I told them what they were and you know if you ever find something like that don't eat it don't you know tell your parents go to the guards show them and um, ironically at the end of it I was giving them jellies you know just little Haribo jellies actual jellies proper ones yeah, <laughs> yeah. and they were like they were actually questioning me they were like are these actual jellies though and I was like she's that's fantastic you're actually questioning me great that's learning really
1: good. yeah 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 <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm getting like, an idea that these could be used in a very sinister way to, to reel in young people 100% yeah
9: it could yeah You, somebody like drug dealers are really innovative um, and they're looking for the next thing. They've moved all their business online. You can get anything you want through Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever. So, you know, they're I suppose they could be causing problems where there's no problem or no issue to begin with. With a young child, like 12 or 13, you know, they start giving out these gummies to them. Next thing they know that they're getting addicted to them. Next thing they get into trouble, they might owe money, and the child is in this... Ring, I suppose, or is hooked or whatever, and it's, it's just really scary. As well as that, you know, the child can overconsume and they could die.
1: Yeah, because as you explained, it's a slow burning effect, and, yeah, and you, and you like take more effect. thinking you'll get a better effect, and before you know it, it hits like a bus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Nick, always good to talk to you and we'll see you back behind the glass here very, very soon uh, at the Opinion Line. Nick Ulroyne of Alex's Adventure and occasionally dabbles in the Opinion Line Research Team. Thanks, Nick. 1850 715 Let's go to Michael Gearan at, at Brewery. Michael, good morning. I'm sure you've come across this too.
10: Good morning, PJ. How are you? Yeah, and um, just to go back on what Nick was talking about there before before I came on, um one particularly forward-thinking parish in Kerry, I go there every year to speak to the sixth-class students in the three national schools. And, you know, I never cease to amaze at how much they know, you know. The first time I did it, I thought I'd have to tailor it because they were a very young audience. But they knew all about um, sweets and jellies and ecstasy tablets and that kind of thing. They weren't very aware of the harmful effect, but they certainly knew of their existence, which surprised me a good deal.
1: Yeah. Even is, at that age. Is it a grooming tool, Michael, as Nick says?
10: Well, absolutely, because, I mean, the drug trade thrives on on, on the field, thrives on new people, new entrants in taking these substances on a regular basis. And, and that's exactly where these jellies and these vape liquids fit in as well, because that's something people aren't talking about a lot. People are very concerned about the incidence of vaping amongst young adolescents who never smoked. Um, and vaping was initially thought of for people like me who used to smoke 20 a day and transferred to vaping as a less harmful possibly alternative to smoking but now young people are vaping and these liquids are being designed to be introduced into the whole vaping ritual and of course they can contain any manner of things in them so like the seizure that we were talking about in Cork probably yesterday or whenever it happened fits exactly with the demographic that we fear the most is that drugs are being put together in forms and in 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 ways and being presented in a way to young people that they are not harmful at all. So they're putting things like jelly sweets and vape liquids that they might be already be using and that kind of thing. So it is grooming in that respect. In, in, yeah,
1: in, sorry, in the past, Michael, it would have been a case when I was in school, and certainly I, I presume when you were in school that you know young fellas of fourteen and fifteen. Learn to smoke, they did rollies behind the bike shed at lunchtime or at break time. Now, thankfully and mercifully, far fewer young people are taking up smoking. So the dealer needs another way to reel them in because they don't do yes. rollies.
10: Yes, you have it in one. And the way it has evolved, PJ, is that back in our day, as we'll call it, because we'd be around the vintage, like there was smoking and drinking and they were the two risk-taking behaviours and a bit of cannabis smoking as well. That now has all changed to include a myriad of party drugs which we could talk about for the morning but worryingly enough in the past year or two the thing that's emerging for us amongst the young adolescents is recreational cocaine use and that it, I think it's no surprise that when these jellies and vape liquids and everything else were found in this city centre location that there was a good deal of cocaine found in the same premises. I may be drawing now a conclusion that, that's a bit wild because we don't know where these were going, but it is quite common amongst young adolescents to see this kind of thing, along with cocaine abuse, coexisting. And the ages that young people are telling us now that they are forced using cocaine is probably the most frightening element and development in the illicit drug scene that we have seen in some time.
1: Okay. Michael, I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you, as always, for your expertise. That's Michael Geeran from uh, Brewery 185715996. And before him, uh, Nick Ryan from Alex's Adventure. So, parents, uh, if your children are bringing home jellies, examine the jellies. They might not be what you think they are. Be careful. And younger people listening, if you're offered jellies, do you want to sweet? They're not aff- they might not be offering you sweets. Be careful, unless it's got a brand name that you know, unless you bought it yourself in a supermarket. Don't be taking jellies off of people. How many times when we were young, Phyllis, For, <laughs> I wasn't knee high to a grasshopper and we were taught don't ever take sweets off a stranger. God, how relevant is it now in 2020? A couple of responses coming in to the protesters outside the Connolly Youth Movement House on Dyke Parade early in the week. I'll get to that. Touching base with another subject that we've followed a lot over the last couple of weeks. Talked about it only yesterday. That's the theft of dogs and the kidnapping of family dogs and some terrible cruelty carried out to dogs and I mentioned that this w- would be on the show today. Nora, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You've started a petition uh, to ban the advertising online for sale of dogs.
8: I did. Um, I actually, I, uh, gosh, it's been going um, a couple of weeks now. I've got nearly 1,500 signatures. Um, I'm only one, there's, there's actually another few going around as well um, I know one girl who's got about 4,000 um, they're all directed, my dog in the background um, they're all directed towards the um, Department of Agriculture um, and uh, I, I've had a stock I had a stock response from Martin Hayden who was, who was the junior minister mm. um, I've heard nothing from the current minister and uh I believe nobody's hearing anything from our legislature.
1: We have a new we have a new junior minister, don't we? <laughs> uh, have we a new junior minister? You, you, it, 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 new minister. New minister,
8: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and to be honest, the the minister at the time when I started this petition, I knew there was no point because his reputation as regards uh, dogs and puppy farms and all the rest of it was well known. And so there wasn't any point. And I really it was awful to think that as a citizen of the country, I had nobody yeah. that I felt could, you could turn to
1: in government. What is it specifically that you want to ban, Nora?
8: I want to ban um, dogs being advertised online. And this is not just on Done Deal, it's the, the likes of Done Deal, it's uh, eBay, um, Facebook pages, WhatsApp groups, all this sort of stuff. There's no penalties for advertising stolen dogs. Yeah. And, you know, we all know that there's been a huge surge in interest of, of uh, buying cute little puppies since the beginning of lockdown. Um, but, the, of course, it's supply and demand and everything, and the prices are ridiculous, and so nobody is safe. Nobody feels safe with their dogs anymore. Yeah. You know, people are afraid to let them to go out. To
1: are the they? Are? No, no, it's terrible. I've, I, as I said the other day, I've won I've little wanderer. Now, she only gets oh. to the bottom of the road. And then realizes she's lost and she tries to turn back, and by which time we've caught her anyway. But my fear is she's only a little cavalier, she's half stupid like most of them. My fear is that she'll run out and someone will pick her up.
8: And they're just waiting. And we know they're waiting. You know, there, there are people who uh, let their dogs out, you know, before they go to bed. Yeah. And they'll potter around inside in the kitchen getting ready for the morning or whatever. And when they go out, their dogs are gone.
0: Yeah. You know, we
8: know the. We've, and we've, like, I've shed so many tears because I feel, I, I know these little dogs, I know their owners. You yeah. know, we've got, there's a couple of of Springer Spaniels called Meg and Molly. N- not, they weren't together, but they were stolen separately. Topsy is a cocker, beautiful cocker. Yeah. Uh, Turvey was recovered, who was her sister. Molly has a, sis- has a sister, Millie. She was recovered. Yeah. Uh, so it's not. We know they've been stolen. The, the, there's a couple of things I would say to people: um, report to the guardy. A lot of people are taking to social media; they're not reporting to the guardy because they feel that nothing can well, be done. Well, they thought. feel the
1: guards have better things to be doing.
8: Well, it, it's that, but they also, there's also the thing that uh, dog theft is actually classed the same as piece of property taken off your yard. Yeah, it's not. They're not. But now, now the Gardai actually have a post number for dog theft oh, cool. which yeah this is only this week which, which means they are taking it seriously no. uh, you know and it means that they can get the proper reports because it's looking like not as many dogs are being stolen
1: good come come back to the to the petition and you mentioned eBay and you mentioned Dundee, and as you said mm. there are many other platforms i mean have you thought approaching the platforms themselves, because any minister of the day, like eBay, is a global company. They are our minister. Our minister can go, please don't advertise dogs, and then we are that, don't we? like they, they don't really have any power.
8: No, but this is the, this is what we are trying for, and we, there is a march in every town in the country on the sixteenth of August to improve the legislation to protect dogs, protect family pets, all pets. Um, if they had to, if advertisers had to prove that they owned the the, the animal oh. that they're advertising, which is, I
1: mean, that's just it's legitimate. Sense. That's legitimate. You know, if you're selling if a car, had, and you're supposed to have documents.
8: Exactly. And if they had to do this, then you wouldn't have as many people being able to rub your dog out of your yard and put it up on Dundee the next day. Okay. Dundee don't ask. They have been asked over and over and over again. Okay. People are sick and tired writing to them. And like they're here in the country, they are not global. And they will not do anything about it. And everybody has to realise that if they buy a cute little puppy off done deal, there is a little child there is every likelihood that there is a little child crying somewhere in the country for that very animal. And I'm sorry but I get so upset over No, this.
1: it's okay. I, I, I see where you're going with that and I knew you were going to go there because I would feel the very same thing myself.
8: Okay. All right. Yeah. Anyway, the other thing, what is very important for people to do, do not Think that your vet has registered your microchip. You 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 will be given uh, the vet will insert the microchip into your, into your, your dog or your cat or whatever, but you must register them. Yeah. You and and don't. If you don't have a cert, if you think the dog is registered and you don't have a cert, I know my lad's with Fido, I don't know, there's another one as well, I'm not sure of the name, but if you don't have a certificate saying that that dog is registered to you at your present address, then your dog might as well not be chipped because nobody can trace you.
1: Okay, Nora, listen, thanks for that. Time has caught me. I appreciate it. Change.org is where you'll find the petition. It's ban advertising of dogs for sale online in Ireland, thanks, Nora.
0: You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or c96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM.
1: 1850 715 is the phone number to call. The text or the WhatsApp, both the same number, 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at opinionline96. And of course our hashtag is hashtag ol. And we're available through Facebook, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. And address your messages, please, if you could, for the attention of the opinion line. Particularly, that's important, over the weekend, sending us an email or sending us a Facebook message. Because over the weekend, they get hundreds of messages in here on Facebook. So just mark them for our attention and we can root them out for ourselves. There's been a water short or a water outage across Toker and Ballyfihan for most of last night. Ballyfihan says this caller was supposed to be back since 6 a.m. Still not back. I had my supply of water ready, six two litre bottles, but I'm out of it now. And I can't leave home because I'm stuck until someone can look after things. This isn't on if Irish Water are going to put the water off and for goodness sake give us an accurate time when you'll put it back I guess is what that person is saying. Just some comments on the Connolly youth movement and the house up in uh, Dyke Parade. I I know nothing about the house other than as Rourke said the seven people living in it Uh, Rachel says I think it's great to see people brightening up a house that would just be rotting away otherwise it adds more than a vacant property would I wanted to message in, says Laura, and support the young people of Connolly Youth Movement. They've done lots of amazing work in Cork in the last couple of years. These fascists, so-called Christian fascists, offer nothing to the community besides hate and fear. As evidenced by their choice to shout abusive language over a megaphone on a quiet residential street, they can be given no room to spread their lies and abuse. Anyone who stands up to counter them is just doing What's right? And Mervin also on WhatsApp, they've brightened up the area. They've tidied up a nearly derelict house. What we don't need in the area is people roaring and shouting hateful stuff like that. No space for hate in Cork. So, by all accounts, the seven members, as Rourke said, of the CYM living in this house, which I'm taking from these messages, used to be close to derelict and unoccupied. And, and now they're living in there and seem to be getting on quite well with their neighbors one five nine nine six Report came out during the week. A 140-page report into the future of how we try rape and sexual assault and sexual offence cases in this country. And there were a number of recommendations in a 140-page report. For example, recommending that victims be given their own counsel, their own legal representative if they're giving evidence of their sexual history. The whole thing started after the Northern or the Belfast rape trial back in 2018. You'll remember that rugby players Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding were acquitted of rape, uh, as were two others. But That all threw up various questions about how we try rape and sexual assault in this country. It threw up many questions about the difference between how you try a case in the north and how you try a case down here and how that can be difficult, to say the least. It it threw up a lot of questions about how a person is questioned during the course, how a victim is questioned during the course of a trial or an alleged victim is questioned during the course of a trial and many things Besides, And it's been kind of broadly welcomed, this report. Let's bring in Linda Hayden from the Victims' Alliance, who we've spoken to many times, on the opinion line. I, I take it at this stage, Linda, you had a good chance to to read it through. The new Justice Minister, uh, Helen McEntee, has said she, she will see that it's enacted and, and that things are done and things change. Are you happy with it? Good morning to you.
5: Morning, PJ. How are you? Um, yes. It is a positive move in that it's the first time in this country we've had anything that is very victim centric um, like this. Uh, there's some brilliant stuff in there in terms of um, they're they're talking about rolling out um, guarded divisional protective services units into every guarded division. Currently, there well the last time I checked there was 17. Uh, there was 29 planned um but this means that they're going to roll them out into every single guarded divisional unit which is about 51 as far as i know so that's a really positive move what, would, what those, do those units do they're especially trained guardee who are trained to deal with um people who are experiencing trauma um due to either domestic violence sexual violence or you know any kind of a a, mm. a, a, a a trauma case, like, so like an SVU
1: vic- for for, for, for um, exactly. He was a common parlance, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah,
5: and and the idea of it is that the guardia are are specially trained to be able to deal with somebody who is in trauma and not traumatise them further. And mm. um, the whole thing of of dealing with victims in trauma runs through the whole report, and that's a really really positive thing, um, because. Up till now, every step of the way from reporting to the justice system to what happens afterwards if you get a conviction to the criminal injuries compensation tribunal has caused trauma to every single one of the victims at every single step. And it's part of the EU directive um, on victims' rights. That you shouldn't be re-traumatizing victims mm. when you are bringing them through the justice system. So the whole idea of this report was to to make us in line with the minimum standards of that directive. So this is, it is good because it has meant that the victim has been very centric in the whole report. Mm. Um, so the guarded divisions, that's a great uh, a great thing. Another great thing is um, specialist training for solicitors, barristers, and judges in how to handle victims. So again, not traumatising them, um, very positive move because we all know, we all remember the case in Cork in November 2018 where um, a 17-year-old person's underwear was held up as, as giving consent. I
1: have a um, note made to, to ask you about that, like is there anything in this report that will prevent those kind of no. things happening so, in a courtroom?
5: Okay, so what what they have said is, um, and it was one of the things, because I, I was one of the, the parties, I, I sent an individual submission in on this um, when they were looking for people to make submissions as to what we would like to see in the report. And one of the things that I was very clear on, and, and I know that several other places like the Red Crisis Centre, the Red Crisis Network was very clear on, when you, are a, a, when you make your statement to the Garda, if you've been a victim of sexual violence or a sexual assault, um, when you make your statement to the you become a witness for the state. So you are literally a witness. You have no rights within that, that courtroom.
1: Yeah.
5: Um, you're treated as a you, witness. You don't so have a right them... to
1: your own legal counsel.
5: No. Now, what they have said with this is that if the um, defence wishes to question the victim about their past sexual history, there needs to be a pretrial hearing um, so that they can say that they're intending to do that. So in that case, the victim can have a barrister there to represent them. However, it's only for past sexual history. So if we take that case in Cork as an example, um, that lady was a virgin. So there was no past sexual history to question her about, but yet they still held up what she was wearing as a sign of consent. So I'm hoping with this that the the victim training that the barristers, the solicitors and the, the judges are going to get will diminish that. Um, however, in a defence case, you have to do everything you can to try and get your client off. So... The, I, I don't think what's suggested in this report is going to to stop that, and I still believe that victims need le- legal representation in court. I mean, this came as a result so, of the, the there, law- then
1: Isn't there a long-standing legal argument there, Linda, with regard to that? Because, like you correctly pointed out, when 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 someone goes to a guard the station, makes a statement, and, it, and, and 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 the case begins, they are then just a witness for the prosecution and, and an individual witness cannot have their own individual legal counsel.
5: No. So it, it, we would argue, you know, that there needs to be something there. Maybe it's a constitutional thing. I'm not sure. Um, there needs to be further further examination into it. And I know Tom O'Malley is a, an absolutely brilliant barrister. He's a lecturer in law. You know, he knows his stuff and everybody who did this report knew their stuff. They're talking about the balance um, of of fairness um, or the balance of rights and particularly constitutional rights um, mm. for the defendant, but there are no constitutional rights for victims. Mm. So,
1: so you could you could run into a this came up in a previous discussion a year or two ago. You could come up against a situation where if. A victim of sexual assault or an alleged victim of sexual assault goes into court, into the trial and they have a barrister or a solicitor in court with them. What's to stop a serial burglar demanding their legal counsel? What's to stop an arsonist demanding, sorry, the victim of a burglar demanding their legal counsel? What's to to stop the victim of a car theft demanding their legal counsel? What's to stop the victim of any other crime? demanding their legal counsel down the
5: road. Well, there's nothing to stop it, but I think if you're really prescriptive in, in what that looks like and, and make it prescriptive for certain crimes, the thing is that they're talking about the, the balance, but the balance is still very much weighted towards, like, if, if you are just a witness, um, there is nobody there to protect you and stop you from being re-traumatised, and you have been the victim of a crime, you know, and there is no other crime. Like, if, if your house is burgled, they're not going to ask you what you were wearing, you know, um, they're not going to ask you like how much you had had to drink before your house was burgled. So there is there is different things. It's, it's a different set of circumstances. It's, mm.
1: it's well, I, I, against the I person see, as opposed. I, no, to I saw your point a long time ago. I, I'm yeah. broadening the question out as to where, where am I going. Something else that I think has pleased people here is the, the concept of a pre-trial hearing. What might happen there, Linda? why, why would that help?
5: So the pre-trial hearing will be kind of, it'll set out um, any special um, recommendations or disclosures that, that will come. So it means that the victim is a little bit pre-warned around what's going to happen on the day. Um, so it means then that they're not blindsided uh, by questioning and things like that. So that is, that is a positive thing. The one thing I would say about it, and it's, it's something that I know legal experts are kind of, scratching their heads around a little bit is if you're the the whole thing of the report was saying that it wants to expedite the process so that it's not long and drawn out for victims so again trying to to minimize the amount of trauma however i don't see how with the resources that we have in the criminal justice system at the moment adding another layer in is going to expedite things So I can see unless there is resource put in there by the Minister for Justice um, to increase the number of judges that we have, um, increase the number of court days, you know, look, so that's the only thing that's going to make sure that this actually happens because otherwise it's just going to draw the process out even longer.
1: Come to the point of anonymity, the report recommends that victims in all trials for sexual assault offences should remain entitled to anonymity irrespective of the outcome, and the accused person uh, should be also entitled to anonymity unless convicted, the report states. It's only currently in place for rape or aggravated sexual assault. What do you say to that?
5: I I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. The in-camera system works well here in terms of protection for victims. and I know a lot of people out there are like, Oh you know it's it's what how how are people supposed to know if um, there are you know other victims might might't come forward because they don 't know that this person is being tried um, What I would say is what we need to look at is um, allowing victims to tell their story more openly. We need to potentially look at reform of our defamation laws more so um, because at the moment. We had had a very successful movement that um, worked particularly well in the US with the Me Too movement back in 2017. And now Harry Weinstein is in jail because of of victims sharing their story. And as one victim shared theirs, many more came forward. Um, That's not going to happen with the system as it is currently. Now, if you have a Me Too movement here in Ireland, you're at severe risk of losing, unless you have no assets whatsoever, you're at risk of losing everything you have if you say what happened to you. Um, so we need to potentially maybe look at that as opposed to yeah. um, the anonymity side of things. I think maybe w- we need to reform the, the defamation laws a little bit. Well,
1: well if you um, remember what happened during the Belfast trial and it all that also exposed differences between how things are done south of the border and how things are done north of the border. That that young woman's name uh, was all over the internet by the end of day one, even though the press and and papers and radio and television uh, did not name her, uh, would not name her. Her her name was all over the internet. I had three three DMs by the end of day one asking, did I know who she was?
5: Yes. So with the with the, the system in Northern Ireland, it is an open justice system, so anyone can walk into court. Whereas here we hold our rape and serious sexual assault trials in Canberra. So only um, immediate family and, and legal represent- re- representatives are there for either side. Um, and potentially a, um, a support person for the victim. But um, it, extending it to all all Sexual violence case, I think, is actually quite a positive thing. I think it it just gives victims.
1: Well, what's going to stop anyone putting that name on the internet? Anyone?
5: Oh well, the, if here, if you do it, you're in breach of a court order. You risk going to jail.
1: Yeah. Has it ever happened?
5: So, um. I am not aware of any cases mm. that have come across my desk. Um, Should, I'm it sure Should it be? Should be the case, I... Linda?
1: I mean, I, I I covered I covered many many cases over the years, and right up to central criminal court level, I covered I covered rape cases. And my God, if you even dreamed of putting the victim's name out there or the alleged victim's name out there, you would be in serious trouble. Yeah. And yes, the think... victim, the name got out there.
5: But but that's. In Northern Ireland, it's a completely different system. So I think the extension of it of the in-camera system here is a positive thing. I think, you know, I think there there was there there is a report, a similar report, been done in Northern Ireland, and they have recommended changes to that as a result of the Belfast Rape Clause. So I think there is reformation going on in the North, um, but. I I I don't think that I think this is quite a positive thing here for for all victims like you know and I've, we've seen um you know we had a, a an elderly entertainer recently was named in the press um yes. for a sexual assault and was found not guilty and you know they're saying that their career is ruined because of it their reputation is ruined so you know anything like that um that that offers protection to both victims, and, and you know, if somebody is found not guilty, then that's you know it's a good thing. Um, I I think, but I do think that people should be able to tell their stories, and I think the defamation laws at the at the moment are restrictive and prohibitive to people doing that.
1: All right, okay, it's been good to talk as always, Linda Hayden uh, from the Victims Alliance. You'll find them on Twitter, 185715996. That report, what will be interesting, of course, is will anything actually be done about it? Helen McEntee, the new Justice Minister, has said that she must now develop an ambitious implementation plan on foot of the recommendations in this report. Isn't that just roll, that rolls quickly off the tongue to be able to say that. Saying you'll do it and doing it are two different things. Maybe our politicians should be told that a bit more often. Let's look at the water situation. We're getting calls. Stephanie and Banifian also very annoyed. No water. Uh, We'll try to find out more next.
9: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax
7: and think about
9: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. this is courts Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
5: us now, 1850-715-996. On
0: Quartz 96FM. My screen tells
1: me that Sinn Féin TD, is just off the phone from Irish Water. Dunnocker, we have had a number of complaints in the last few minutes since we first mentioned it. A toker complaints, Balafi complaints. We're supposed to be back this morning, not back yet, and people are running out of their bottled water. What have you been able to find out? Good morning to you. Well,
11: like I mean, I suppose I was very disappointed to be honest because what was advertised and it wasn't particularly well advertised and I'll come back to that was 6am uh, return uh, when I spoke to them this morning a short time ago, they were talking about 8am uh, and perhaps later than that uh, and then it takes an hour or two for supply to build up so for an awful lot of people that would be uh, 10, 11 o'clock uh, my own house was out of water, we are back in water now It's it's um, and it was muddy really for the last probably half an hour but it's beginning to come clear a bit now I think from talking to a few people just on the phone I think it's a similar situation. People's water is gradually beginning to come back, uh, albeit that it's not clear yet. What I suppose is disappointing is the communication here. Like, this is a huge disruption to people's lives. Uh, people, you know... But what are, areas uh,
1: specifically were affected, Donovan?
11: Well, look, I mean, I've had calls from a number of areas, but, like, I mean, I suppose going as far west, say, as Summerstown and Gashin Road and as far east as kind of... Killarine Downing, Nuns Walk, uh, well into Ballyfahan, nearly started Funners Cross, maybe. Uh, I can't say exactly where was affected, what was advertised was talked of, Toker Road, Connolly Road, and a few other places, so there was areas affected that weren't in the advertisement. Uh, So there was a very large catchment area right across most of the talk or a good half if not more of Ballyfian into Glashine and bits of the lock as well so there was a huge area affected like what this is connected to is the flood relief walk and they've been doing this um, the first part of it this year which is the service diversion they're moving the pipes and the service and things like that from one side to the other to allow space for the culvert to be fair to the contractors involved even though it's a complex job even though it's been very disruptive I think they've done their best to keep communication up the big fall here has been in Irish water because it's not the contractor's responsibility to reconnect the mains uh, when that is being changed. That is the responsibility of Irish water. Uh, What probably complicated it further was the fact that it's actually the county council is their agent rather than city council, even though it's a city council area. But doesn't really matter. Why does
1: all this old nonsense even matter in 2020, Tanaka? Well,
11: what should have happened anyway, PJ, is is that people should have got a letter. Um, yeah. people are going to be out for water, whatever, about an hour or two, but if they're going to be out for it, uh, and some people were out of it before the advertisements yesterday, they were talking 6 p.m., um, uh, and uh, some people were out of water from 3, uh, and if that's going to go from 3 till 11 a.m. or 12, midday, the following day, people should get a letter. Everyone should be notified. An awful lot of, like, I got an email there uh, about... Um, Wednesday evening and I only spotted it Thursday morning and I posted it then but like and I tried to get the word out to as many people as I could yeah. but realistically not everyone is going to be on social media an awful lot of people aren't uh, and particularly elderly people uh, and people you know and people might be in situations that they need a lot of and might be caring for people yeah. Uh
1: parents who are
11: preparing bottles, all this kind
1: of I don't recall, for example, that we, for such a huge outage, I don't recall that we got any notification from Irish Water that we could use to inform our listeners, which is another failing.
11: Yeah, no, exactly. Look, as I have to say, I'm really, really disappointed. I think it's really, really poor uh, by way of communication. People feel let down, people feel angry. Uh, It simply isn't good enough. It's been handled dreadfully. Uh, And I think, you know, Look, it's happened now, and I think people have had a very, very tough day and a bit uh, out of it, but what we need to do here now is learn, like, an Irish water needs to learn from this. If they're going to be shutting off water to either this community or any other community for such an extended period of time, there needs to be a letter drop, there needs to be bulletins on the radio, Uh, it needs to be well communicated, because people need time to prepare. And it It needs to come back on time. Yeah, it does. It does absolutely, and it shouldn't be going out before it's advertised either. And as I say, an awful lot of people wouldn't have seen the advertisement. Uh, there was a brief mention in the Echo. I got an email. I posted it on social media. But other than that, and some other public reps did the same. But other than that, like I mean, people not everyone is going to see that, especially with twenty four hours notice. People should be getting letters in the door. People should be hearing on the radio, uh, and it should be advertised for for well in advance of the week. because people have to make preparations. It really is very unfair in people, especially who need additional water, people like carers, people like uh, parents of newborns and things like that, like, you know, um, all these kind of things, people would have had to suffer. Uh, and, you know, it might have been different if people had the opportunity to prepare psychologically or practically, uh, but that opportunity wasn't there. So Irish water needs to learn from this. Letters need to go out. Bulletins need to be on the radio. People deserve to know when they're going to be without
1: water for... Got to 24 hours. Okay, leave it there. Dunnaker O'Leary, Sinn Fein, TD for Cork, South Central. Uh, the news, I think the, the newsroom had uh, updates on it last evening. Uh, so there was some communication in that regard. We, we certainly didn't get anything here at our desk. Um, outlining the areas that were going to be affected. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. has been off. Collars says the water has been off since yesterday evening at six? They're laying a new pipe out in Toker. It was supposed to be back by six o'clock, but not yet. Collars had water stored since last night because he did hear it on the radio. Great, that was probably in the in the evening news. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Mount Caro. We've talked about it. Uh, we get hopefully get an update next.
0: This is Courts Gold, Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or
5: WhatsApp now 0833969696. 96, 96 On
0: Courts 96 FM. Just on the water,
1: Brian Gould. How are you, Brian? Hope you're keeping well, sir. Brian says it's about time that Irish water was abolished and the council take over again. There's about as much chance of Christmas. In Mar- in March, Brian. But I do take your point. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now, former Lord Mayor, uh, councillor Dr. John Sheen was in touch with us to say that the present chairman of Mount Cara has now stepped down. So John is resuming the chair. He was there before. We've covered various elements of this in the last few days. Most recently with Paddy O'Brien campaigner for the elderly, who called on the opinion line, or via the opinion line rather, called on the HSE to step in and ensure that Mount Cara does not close. HSE isn't presently of a mind to take it over because they say that it doesn't fall within their criteria for running it, and yet you've got all these people who will have nowhere to go if Mount Cara closes and some of them are as old as a hundred years of age, Magella, or Jella as she's known, is a care assistant up there. Hi, Jella. Good morning to you.
12: Okay. Good morning, TJ. A
1: lot of support out there for keeping this place open, for finding a way to fix the problem.
12: Yeah, there is. We were totally overwhelmed Wednesday evening with the crowds that gathered. We didn't expect such large numbers, and we were. We were thrilled to see the locals and the residents around to come out, and there was. There was a good couple of local councillors and TDs, and thanks for the ones that I did contact myself personally. They did show up. Thanks to all of them for coming along. It was great to have their support.
1: How long have you worked up there?
12: I, I initially started on a C scheme, QD Employment, and then I was kept on as an employee, and there are almost four years now. Okay.
1: So you'd know the day to day needs of, of the people who live there. How traumatising would it be for them, Jella? To have to open move. It's
12: devastating, please. You know, we, we have people crying, wondering where they're going to go, what's going to happen to them. You know, they're happy where they are. They don't want to leave. They've formed friendships and bonds with staff. You know, why, why, why take them out? They're happy where they are.
1: Mm. And I know many of them are elderly and some of them would have dementia and things. But th- but those who can communicate with you, uh, have they been talking about their worries
13: we wouldn't
12: have PJ, like, we wouldn't have money with we don't Would you not? Oh, great. So
1: they'd be all fairly, fairly with it, as it were.
12: They they'd know be, what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. They, they all do. They know what's going on. They Good. really do. And we're just a low to medium dependency. So uh, the majority of them are well well-abled. It's like we're not a full-blown nurse at home, PJ. I see. We're just a step down. And so, therein, therein
1: lies the problem, isn't it? That the HSC has said, well, this is not the kind of place we take over. Well,
12: <laughs> exactly but it, it's needed like Dr John Shane himself has said facilities like this are needed yeah. because it's for people who maybe live at home alone who house scared maybe have no family we have people who have never married who haven't had children who rely on nieces and nephews not to come and visit and come and talk yeah. it, that's you know it, it, it's horrible they've formed friendships now with people and staff why, why move them we don't want them to leave
1: what kind of a timescale have the board put on this
12: Peter, there hasn't, there was a date thrown around by Daniel Hagertree off HR um, on the board. 28th um, of August was given. Now, that that can't go ahead because fair deal, as you know, takes six to eight weeks to actually process and get people, you know, even in, in the criteria to move. But the way in this for nursing homes around is phenomenal. You know, you're talking a long, long time to get someone in. Yeah. There's a lady who went to, uh, looking at a place and she was told she was 15th, on the list
1: so, so so even if you had to move them on there's nowhere to move them to
12: exactly and there was a point made yesterday by a lady who was speaking to Neil Prendergast on Red FM and um, you know, they, they, they didn't question John about it because didn't no one thought about it even we didn't think about it we weren't taking patients in throughout the, this pandemic because the board were advised by the HSC to follow guidelines.
1: That's right. We mentioned that the other day. They they, they couldn't take so on new patients. Doesn't it
12: make sense why well, can our patients move and go to another nursing home? Are other nursing homes not breaching guidelines? There's that. By there is that, our
1: isn't there? In? there is that, isn't there? There is that,
12: you know. And yeah. like they say that we don't fit the model the HSC wants. The model the HSC want are bigger places. But like as I keep saying, bigger places like throughout this pandemic. Have shown failure because 56% of the deaths drew, drew, yeah. through COVID come from yeah. nursing homes. Yeah. So, like, we we were COVID-free initially. We had one lady tested positive who had a temperature up for a couple of hours. We put in all the precautions necessary. We'd cornered off a corridor. There was, she was in the run alone. Okay. One staff member de- dedicated to her. She was getting frustrated and bored and said, that she She wanted to come back out. Yeah. You know? She,
1: was she okay afterwards?
12: She perfectly thank God she good. made a full recovery and she, she's great now.
1: Great. Like great. All
12: staff we all staff were tested every week for four weeks. We all tested negative. So it goes to show there's evidence that we did something right. Yeah. We kept our staff safe and everyone. Well, fair cared play for to you. Safe. that's
1: Fair play. That was brilliant. That was really good work.
12: So like with the reasons given that the board you say the reasons was for closing were challenges from COVID.
1: Yeah, well, the, the explanation that we got, and we, we mentioned it the other day, and I only mentioned another radio program, but the, 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 expan, the explanation given when we started looking into this was that, first of all, low the, the, there are there are no patients coming in, but sure, COVID doesn't allow anybody to come in.
0: Yeah, well, no, re, the respite respite PJ.
1: respite is a huge is a huge um, income boost for for Munira.
12: Of course, like, we are still getting calls for people yeah. to come in. Yeah. people still our actually. You can't them take them,
1: them. them
12: in. We're not allowed to take them in. So
1: you, low patient numbers. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for low patient numbers because they can't take we them can't in. Can't
12: take them in exactly. Do you know, yeah. and like we like we're wondering like why why can't the HSC be be asked why why can't we get the fair package deal? Do you know why can't we get the respite deal where people get six weeks free throughout the year, two weeks at a time? Like it costs three hundred and fifty euro for a respite person to stay in Mount Cara a week. Yeah. If you look at other nursing homes, compare, it's, it's a fraction of the price. So initially, it makes economic sense for the Hatriphets yeah. to step in because it's cheaper to send someone to us.
1: Now, before it's I brought you in a- there, I mentioned that John Sheen had been touched to say that the present chairman of the
12: Pac on stepped, had in, had yeah, just I, stepped
1: I, down, and John was taking over the chairmanship. Would you have anything specific to ask John to do or to suggest that John do?
12: Well, John, John has made it clear. He has told all staff that he would love to see Moncaris stay open. He has made that clear, even publicly as well. He does think the facility is the way to go, but he has stated to other people it's outdated. Now, it's not. It's not outdated. Like PJ, we were 30 years open last September. Uh, we had a big party. There was loads came up. Loads turned out. The place was all. All we rede- we decorated, the dining room, the day room, the foyer. Yeah. There was thousands spent. Redecorate. Yeah,
1: and, and and tell me, Jella, as someone who works there and has worked there for the last four years, I think what you seem to be saying to the HSE is, come in, sit down, talk to us,
0: talk and exactly.
1: see see how we Explain. can work together to save Explain
12: this. Explain why we don't fit into their model. What what, or what we could do
1: want. to fit in?
12: Exactly. Do you know, if there's changes to be made, if we can do stuff, we we do it. Yeah.
1: Listen, I'll leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Magella Lynch, known as Jella. She's a care assistant at Mount Cara. 28th of August is a date being bandied about. Not confirmed, but this is the 7th. 28th is only like three or a bit weeks away. And as Jella said, to get anybody in anywhere else on a fair deal scheme would take about six weeks, even if the places were there and the places aren't. So what's going to happen to all these poor people? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine 715 Caller says St. Vincent's is closing as well, and there's nothing about that. The women there were all separated out and sent sharing rooms with strangers after being in St. Vincent's with their lifelong friends since they'd been in laundries and their babies were taken from them. I know about those people. She's heard that CUH is taking over St. Vincent's. Now, our latest update was in February, and COPE Foundation was to take it over uh, D has put in a request there for an update on that to see what is happening with St. Vincent's because just because we're talking about Mount Cara all the time doesn't mean we have lost interest, far from it, in uh, St. Vincent's. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. You know the cataract buses, we're up and down the country doing great work and we've talked to people like Ben Dalton, Dalton O'Sullivan, the, the councillor in carry a line about organising the cataract buses where people on a long, long waiting list for cataract surgery go north and have a job done there in an NHS hospital and then the HSE will reimburse them pretty much all the cost of getting it done and people have been waiting for cataract operations for the bones of, what, five years or more can have the whole thing sorted out in a matter of weeks, by going up north and getting it done on the NHS. Now, uh, Dara Kilmartin's a consultant, eye surgeon. Dara, good morning. Good morning. You believe there's no need for those buses to be going up and down the country?
14: I do indeed. I'm not alone in that belief. I think one of your local TDs and your local councillors would, would concur with that. Uh, the surgery isn't actually carried out in an NHS hospital. Yeah, that's worthy, worthy.
1: I should clarify that. It's a private hospital, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
14: yeah. Um, so we have similar uh, initiatives here in the South. We have um, NTPF-funded cataract surgery, both in private units and in some public units.
1: Is the treatment In-respir- purchase fund,
14: yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, but it's not a, a long-term solution. It's not a core solution to the problem, which is capacity and it it erodes resources from the public units and we have a huge consultant shortage as you know we have 500 consultant vacancies and we don't have enough theatre capacity and these situations have been made much much worse by the Covid crisis where we have huge restrictions due to social distancing many units are only working about 80% of their capacity I'm a little
1: bit confused though you you said you or you say rather that there's no need for the buses but but then you've gone out to, on to outline a number of reasons why there's every need for them.
14: Well it's, there's no need for buses to take people in their eighties from Cork and Kerry up to Belfast. I mean in my view that's inhumane. I the disruption involved is massive. People have to get up extremely early in the morning. Yeah. They often have to stay overnight. These surgeries can be conducted local locally. In the Ionair Hospital, we built, purpose built, a dedicated cataract theatre four years ago for this purpose where we conduct high volume cataract surgery. Right. And it was so successful they we were able to slash our waiting lists. Nina have followed. They, they uh, built uh, a purpose built cataract unit uh, outside of Limerick and they've been able to slash their, their waiting lists also, funded by the HSE. There's so no the reason. The facilities are there. The facilities are there. There's no reason why this could not be conducted in retail units in Bantry or Mallow, such as what has been uh, proposed by your local TD.
1: So why isn't it happening then, do you think?
14: Well, I think it just requires greater organisation and perhaps greater pressure. It can happen. Um, I know there are some great minds in the Department of Health and HSC that, that could make it happen. Uh, There there are greater funds going into the NTPF. These could be used to develop units like that. Um, I think it's just a case of using a facility. Like, we have the cross-border initiative. The money is there for situations like this. Um, So I I, I can understand why it's happening, but there's no reason why an alternative, better solution for patients locally couldn't be provided.
1: Of course, the the other side of that is that when someone goes from say Castletown Bear to Belfast on the bus, stays over, has their surgery carried out and comes back and they get all, if not all if not all, they get the vast majority of their money back from the HSE and, and reasonably quickly. Clearly the HSE has the money, so you're saying they should be spending it on our own facilities down here? Well, the money is there, but I'm not
14: necessarily saying that the HSC themselves have the money. Remember, this is a cross-border initiative, so it, it's a dedicated fund for this purpose. Mm. It wouldn't be part of HSC core funding. Yeah, there is dedicated funding within the NTPF that could be used. National to develop... National
1: Treatment it, and Purchase Fund. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
14: That could be used to develop. So rather uh, spending
1: it, uh, well, yeah, spend it spend it locally because the facilities are there. Would you say?
14: Well, many of these units have. Um, been down, well I wouldn't say downgraded but many of their emergency departments have had to transfer their acute care to the larger units and we've seen successful redeployment of services. For example, look at Roscommon where they developed a huge geriatric facility and been able to make that very, very effective where they moved their ED to to, uh, the larger units like Galway. The same thing has happened in Limerick where Nina was being underutilised and they were able to redeploy services there There's no reason why that couldn't happen in Bantry or Mallow or in a regional unit outside of Cork.
1: So why do you think it isn't?
14: Well, it could happen. Uh, I think that with uh, some greater uh, developments of of, uh, services and a specific plan in mind, it could happen.
1: All right. And there's a new health minister now, Mr Donnelly. What would you say to him about this?
14: Well, I, I'm very impressed by Stephen Donnelly. I think that he's a listener. He's very practical. He um, He's also a deliverer. And I was a little bit surprised when he was moved from the Brexit portfolio over to health. And I watched how he picked up that portfolio very quickly. And he listens to people on the ground. I think that he will be able to deliver on this. Mm. He's appointed Susan Mitchell uh, from the, the Business Post as, a, as an advisor. I think that's very positive
1: yeah she's given and she's given good coverage to this 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 initiative yeah 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 well we'll see where we'll see where it goes anyway over the over the the, the months to come, but you're saying specifically, there is no need for them to be going up by bus. The facilities are here, just fund but it and I, get it done i
14: think yes, I think a better solution can be found for people on the ground locally, okay. and we need to resource the public units using it uh Creative thinking like this that has proven to work both in the Eye and Ear Hospital and in Nina. There's no reason why it couldn't happen in Cork and Kerry.
1: Okay, I'll leave it there for you today. Uh, That's Dara Kilmartin, who is a consultant eye surgeon at the Eye and Ear Hospital. I'm sure the facilities are there, the theatres are there, the money can be found, but it's not happening. I'm sure isn't that why they're going over the border in the first place, because it's not happening. 18, I see her, I see where Dr. Kilmartin's coming from, though. 185715996, Carla went to the north for a gynecological procedure for a leaky bladder. Arranged it herself, as she'd heard about the cross, cross-border treatment plan. She got a private appointment here three months away, but rang the hospital and organised it herself in eight weeks, start to finish. So it's worth checking it out if you're waiting a long time for anything. Kings Bridge Hospital in Belfast is where all the cataracts happen and they do other things too and she got all of her money back I will be getting back to COVID-19 and stuff associated with it between 11 and 12 a couple of calls coming in, a couple of messages coming in about social distancing Um, Calvin says we were in Ballybunion last week the first beach was empty, no one around we walked to the second one, it was Jammers no social distancing at all. We left the area immediately. Yeah, the, there are two beaches in Ballybunion. A lot of people don't know about the second one and it can be a bit awkward to get on to the second one, but there's <laughs> two fine beaches. Why was one empty and one jammers? Nice one, Calva. Anne says in the email, opinion at 96fm.ie, Hi, PJ, had a funny incident the other day at a car park lift. The sign clearly said only two in the lift. A family of three tried to get in with me into the lift. I said only two allowed. Guess what? One of them said the two is social distancing. I just smiled and moved on. I'm over 60. I'm not stupid. They got mixed up between two metres social distancing and two people in lift. Or else they were just acting the mug. The Moral of the story, every person look out for themselves and keep as safe as possible. I was in a hotel in Dublin in the last couple of weeks and they were very strict with their lifts. Only three people allowed in the lift and preferably only members of the one family group in the lift at the same time, which was fine on the first night we were there, or said the second night rather because the lifts were working, the first night the lifts weren't working only for one of them and we were waiting to get up to the room for hours and then couldn't find the stairs anyway, if you're getting into a lift they prefer that it's only you and your husband and your wife or your son or your daughter just wait to come back down Come back down. Please don't give out my name. This is simply input I want to give. If you don't mind adding it to the show in relation to meat factories, I work in a meat factory. Just like any other job, as long as you sanitize, social distance, and be cautious, you're fine. Meat factories are getting a bad name because being clean is now a shock to the system for a lot of meat factory owners. Any of these places have employees stuffed into the one accommodation I'm not accusing anyone in particular that's why I'm not mentioning names because it's going on in many counties washing hands careful thinking and social distancing works in many places it's no different in meat factories if things are done right please don't give out my name thank you and to go back to the numbers again this morning and talking to Dr Nuala O'Connor early in the programme about the numbers and the uptick, the significant uptick in numbers up and down the country I put the Cork numbers to her and it's very important to relay back what she said the numbers in Cork at the moment for example, in the last two weeks since this day, fortnight the 23rd of July, we've had only 12 new cases in Cork we would think correctly that Cork is therefore relatively safe as regards COVID-19, to which she said it is for now It is for now. We need to be extremely careful. We need to wash our hands. Wear a mask if you're asked to wear a mask. Social distance. And if you're going out this weekend, she said, if you've a place booked to go out and it looks a bit too crowded, are you going in? Don't go in. Personal responsibility. Look after yourself. Mind yourself. Thankfully, at the moment, it's...
0: We have a low incidence in Cork.
1: We need to keep it that way.
0: Be careful about keeping it that way. You are listening to Highlights from The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM.
1: Bit of an argument about the staycation word, uh, and I was listening to this a lot while I was on the holidays myself. I stayed in Ireland. Uh, I went to nor- to the north. There to Dublin and Donegal, and I stayed in Ireland. And that, to my mind, is a staycation. But other people say, "No, that's not a staycation. It's not a staycation. It's a staycation is if you stay at home every night." But you go and visit places, like if you went to Sherkin on a day trip and then went the following day that you went, might have gone to Dungarvan on a day trip, or you might head down to the Jameson Distillery and see that, or you might go to Fota and see that, or you might go to wherever, but that you come home every evening. That apparently is the definition of a staycation. What I did, or what thousands of others did, is taking a holiday in Ireland. Grand have it your own way, whatever it is. 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696 Email opinion at 96mm.ie When I was talking with Dr. Nuala O'Connor earlier this morning and looking at the possibility and how she might feel about and how others might feel about the idea of local lockdowns like regional lockdowns in Kildare and Offaly and places like that we referred to the lockdown that hit us in March and April And compared to other countries, our lockdown was fairly light. I think myself and the good doctor were both agreed on that. Compared to other countries, it was a relatively light lockdown. But Bernie wasn't too impressed by that comment. She said, if you're living on your own and you can't meet anyone or communicate with anyone for three months, it isn't a light lockdown. The psychological effects of readjusting are really hard. A lot of damage has been done. A lot of her friends... Hold on, don't move that on me. A lot of her friends uh, now won't come out at all. They're too afraid. It's only when we all start going out again, you realise all you have lost. Well, I really, really feel for anyone who is desperately, desperately afraid, and there are many of them there, lots of people who are desperately, desperately afraid, which is why I'm focusing so much on the fact that the numbers in Cork at the moment are really low, or relatively low. 12 cases in the last fortnight in Cork. And people... Caution and care is important. Fear. I really don't want anybody to be afraid. And the more I hear about people being terrified, the the less comfortable I am with it. I don't like that. I don't like any messaging coming out from government, from Netflix or anything, that is leading people to be afraid we want people to be cautious and to be careful, not to be afraid. Thank you for that, Bernie. 1850 715 I mentioned earlier as well, we come back to this, that there's a man who says that what the government announced earlier this week will fuel house parties. Now, we're not talking about pubs here. They said the pubs won't open on Monday. Probably won't open again until the 31st at least. May not even open then. But they also, and this is the bit that kind of got missed, there's a curfew now on restaurants. All restaurants or all pubs that work as restaurants have to have the premises cleared by 11 o'clock. And Mike Ryan from Cockbull and Store Restaurants reckons that that will actually fuel house parties. Mike, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? I'm very well. Would you? What would be your normal quitting time at say Cockpool of a Friday or Saturday evening? It
4: would be about uh, eleven, twelve o'clock, PJ, and in, in normal times. And, um,
1: and people, the house cleared by what time?
4: It'll be about twelve o'clock. Right, twelve o'clock, but twelve o'clock in Cockpool and and, and in Cornstore. And I suppose the reason that we highlighted the the the, the eleven o'clock time was. A lot of people say, "Sure." As you're saying yourself, like the place is empty at that stage. But the problem, PJ, is that it's the trickle back effect, because most people can't go out because they won't, don't want to go out until about six o'clock or so. And when if you follow when you follow the guidelines of an hour and a half, and someone comes in at six, then your, their table, the next table that time, that time, that table could be ready next is seven thirty, but. You have to leave a buffer. You can't have people standing around waiting anymore. There's no waiting area. People have to come in and sit straight down. So you have to give yourself a buffer of 15 minutes. That brings you into quarter to eight straight away. And then the next time you have that table ready is about quarter past half past nine. And when that happens, you can't just give someone an hour to have an evening out because we're working off reduced hours, our our, um, table capacity at the moment. Every restaurant in the country is. So... It effectively takes away the potential on a Friday and Saturday of a twenty or thirty percent. That's one part of the argument, because if they left restaurants cut till twelve o'clock, there'd be no issue. I'd have no problem with it whatsoever. Because but when you're finishing people up and saying, Here you go, you have, have you know, like if we take someone in at half past nine, and that wouldn't be unusual for us, especially in the corn store scenario, where people coming they're not actually going out to a club or something, and yeah. and that's always been the way. They've come out for a meal together or with friends. And they're going to beat the taxis home generally by 12 o'clock, maybe half past 12, yeah. you know, because we, we would still be open at that stage, like we're fully licensed premises. So people go, that's just a different experience. And we've noticed that over the years, but yeah. it's been fast-tracked over the last couple of months that people are booking later, they're booking at 10 o'clock yeah. to come out, have their night out and go home.
1: Cause- I guess, again, you know, until you read into these things closer and someone like yourself, obviously, in the business has to. Like, it's not just I go in at eight o'clock and I can have my, my hundred and five minutes, which which has me gone at, say, quarter to ten to ten. But you then have to clean and sanitize my table. Yeah.
4: And, and also in a restaurant environment, it's only 90 minutes. We're not in the bar scenario. So
1: ah. only got,
4: it's only 90 minutes. So the, the, that's, 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 that's the... so like we're giving but because the you're, Hang on, you're fully
1: anyway. licensed, so doesn't that cover you there? Uh,
4: listen, at the end of the day, I, people can walk on the grey lines. At the end of the day, I'm a restaurant. Yes. I am fully licensed. The problem has all stemmed from the grey areas. Mm. And as Stephen Donnelly said himself on, on TV the other night, he said there are people that are pretending to be restaurants that are not restaurants. There's a lot of places that are doing food that don't even have a kitchen. Yeah. And they didn't have a kitchen prior to lockdown. And it's the rogue traders out there. And there is a few. But I, have, I go around Cork regularly to, to just even go out and see if I get ideas how people are managing the situation themselves to make life easier for our guys. And vice versa. I see a lot of people in the trade. We all do the same circle to get ideas. And I, I can tell you the majority of people in Cork are operating above board. Yeah. But it's happened, especially other parts of the country, people have been operating, they've had even menus on tables and, <laughs> and had no intention of doing food. So, as to quote Stephen Donnelly, there were people out there taking the proverbial. That's exactly what he said. So to stop all that, they shut everyone down at 11. Now, the thing about that is, as I said at the very start, people are saying, sure, people are going, uh, finishing at 11. But it's about... What restaurants have to cope with, and, and and people in the trade have to cope with at the moment, mm. is you're on reduced capacity. People actually want to go out later. It's more of the European model
1: yeah. that
4: when you're away on holidays, you're making you've no problem making a booking at half
1: nine, ten no. o'clock. No, when I'm on holidays, I wouldn't. I would have no qualms about sitting down for dinner at half nine, quarter to ten.
7: Yeah,
4: but that's what people have been doing,
1: yeah. and it's been and it's been working well,
4: and we were and it's been you know, everyone being properly social distanced a whole lot. I suppose the point that you went into the introduction is what you were saying about house parties, fueling house parties. If you're told you're going away at half ten, you have to leave, you've been out, you're half ten, you're all kind of looking at each other going, okay, whose house is it next? That's it. Because if you look at the queues that are there every night, there's security on doors on a lot of the off-licences around town. Mm. The amount of alcohol that's been purchased, you know, that's not just for someone sitting down watching a match having a beer no okay there's multiple bottles of uh, liquor going, of spirit going out the door they're house parties like we all it's, it's, it's been well publicised and it's like you know they're asking people not to have house parties but again yeah. and that's and it's about the, the other the thing as
1: well Mike that, that, that yeah. has happened is you have people who would normally book say Cockbull or corn store and go out like I said, half nine, quarter to ten, and and, and might have in the olden days. <laughs> it's only six months ago, but moved on so to to a late night, night establishment after that, and have a good third night. Now they're saying, ah, Jesus, why would I bother? We'll be kicked out by eleven o'clock. So let's order in at home from whatever place is doing takeout. Let's get a rake of drink and we'll and we'll have a house party."
4: That's another scenario. Yeah, it kind of it's counterintuitive for what they want to happen. Because if you have people that are have gone out had a good night, now listen, even after eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock, some people are still going to have a lip on them, they're going to want to go somewhere, yeah, but the majority of and that's what we're talking about oh, yeah. but when we when we have questioned and it was something very very interesting I got it because you know I'm in the restaurant association, we are on the council, and we queried this decision because the justification for the decision was that it was becoming an unsafe environment and we got some letters back from TDs and they said in the last 12 uh, and and they all seem to be he- singing off the same hymn sheet and they were trying to justify the, the decision. They said in the last 14 days 12 people that worked in the hospitality sector had tested positive for uh, COVID-19. Yeah. But when you actually dig into those numbers uh, in that time period that they were talking about there was 484 people. Yeah. So that is 2.5% of people that work in that sector. Not saying they got it in the sector, but they work in the sector they also had...
1: Well, there's fee. a thing now. Your first, your first point, not saying they got it in the sector, yeah, is one thing. And yeah. did, 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 did they say where these cases were? No, but
4: we, you, when you actually see the letter that was sent to the minister, it was very interesting about the clusters. And I suppose I'm not here to pass comment on where those figures are there for everyone to read. Indeed. And I suppose some of the clusters were also mentioned on the show this morning. That there are there reasons for those clusters that are not being tackled for one reason or another, Um, and those clusters are driving the figures up. As you've also said yourself, there's going to be twelve cases in Cork, still twelve cases. But if we look at the actual figures, like the hospitality sector employs over hundred and twenty thousand people, the presumption at the moment is there's about less than half of them back, so that's fifty thousand people roughly. If you put twelve if you have about twelve thousand people in an industry that's got fifty thousand people working in it, that's less than a um, quarter of one percent now as a as a sector that's operating and meeting with the younger demographic which we know is an issue and also in a uh, an industry that meets so many people every day and every week, our numbers are extremely low compared to other sectors that are actually operating and the outbreaks that are there. It kinda of shows that the sector has is been well policed, is well made like this the sanitation and everything else and the procedures are working very well if they're the only figures that if they that's what the figures are showing yeah. with the amount of people. So it actually shows that the sector's been very responsible and very safe. And even worldwide the figures have shown that the any resta- anytime restaurants have opened in a society it did not, it did not um,
1: contribute to a spike in COVID figures. So this, this, this curfew,
0: will do, curfew will
1: do more harm than good, you think? It will. Of course it will, because
4: people naturally don't want to be told they can't do something. And that's why the way things were handled for the last couple of months has worked well, because people weren't being guided with a stick. And a lot of people bought into it. But people are going to find it very hard to buy into these, the, the decisions that are coming down the tracks right now. Because is, is the virus more virulent between 11 and 12? You know, so people are just kind of going, hang on a second. You're kind of, there's, there's, there's too much ambiguity on the decisions. It's either the restaurants are open. Like, look at other sectors that are selling volumes of drink out that people can carry home to congregate in a house in an unpoliced scenario. Yeah. On, uh, on, uh, you know, as, at least when you're in a restaurant or a bar environment that's open right now that has all procedures in place while you're sitting in those premises you are, you are, everyone is following guidelines the majority are following guidelines mm. and where the problem has come is people, it wasn't policed it fell between a couple of stools what, what powers did the guards have? what were they actually enforcing? HSA, what powers do they have? Mm-hmm. What were they enforcing?
1: To so be fair have to have the poor old powers. guards, I'd say they hardly knew they themselves. No they hardly no, knew they themselves no what they were supposed to be. They know
4: that they said that themselves, you know. Yeah. What I mean? Mike, is how it is it?
1: the how is the sector doing at this stage? I mean, is there any hope of turning a book at all? Or are you just literally opening to keep the lights on?
4: <sighs> There's a bit of that now because I, I must say I was doing figures after the the weekend and they were I was I was pleased because I was kinda of going, Jesus, this is better than I thought it ought to be um, because this time of the year, I'm very happy. I think a lot of people are very happy, county, city, and county. Because I, I thought to people in operational places, the majority are happy. Not everyone's happy, obviously, but they're happy with the numbers that are around. A lot of people staycations and everything else, and and people are going out because they're taking the opportunity to catch up with friends, and everything is okay. But like, uh, is at, for the moment, the next three weeks should be fine. But I don't want to be all doom and gloom. But when September comes. Schools go back. Traditionally, it becomes a very tight time for everyone. Yeah. And what a lot of people in the city especially rely on is the corporate market and yeah. the later tourists, like from the North American market, which would be over golfing, um, they, the older tourists that were coming in, and traditionally would have a higher spend. Yeah. They would be coming to the city and going to the golf resorts and, and, and around the, the, the area, city and county. And the problem with that is they're not going to be there. Could be a very so, difficult autumn, is what you're saying. But oh, that's a guarantee, but it's how difficult it will be. And a lot will depend on public sentiment because all that's going to keep us going, PJ, what kept us going all over through the years properly is the actual people in the area, Cork people and wherever you're operating, it's your locals that keep you going. And if the sentiment is too low, then a lot of places will go to the wall. Okay. There, there's no doubt about that. There's Unfortunately, people are going to go anywhere, the way things are. Because it's a sector that operates on very low margins, and when you when you're taking when every opportunity is taken away from you, like this decision, which was made, but no one thought about the
1: consequences. And it, and and we read afterwards, didn't we, that Neffet wanted it to have to be half as ten,
4: Well, or even at that, 10? At that, at, well if it was ten, you made a We're done because you're only getting you're not even getting one and a half sittings into your restaurant. It it would actually be cheaper. Like it was coming. It's coming to the point. There'll be times later on in the year you've got to make a decision: is it worth opening on a Thursday or a Friday? Because people are only going to come out one or two days a week. Yeah. Um, But right now, like if that decision was made, look, you may as well shut it all down. Everyone go back on COVID or back on the the pup and take that and until the decision was reversed, because it wouldn't be viable for a lot of places. Right. And, And and at the moment. I won't say it's a, fa- it's a false security, but at the moment things are lifted. The weather is good generally, thank God, and people are out and about, and people are coming into town. They're to going shopping and everything else, and, it, and there's a good feeling around. A, generally, a good feeling, but the figures last week or so have brought it back down, and you can see that sentiment falling off on people just walking in the door. Sometimes you have people walking in the door. You can take walk-ins. You have to take the details and everything else, obviously, but now it's generally gone back to just reservations only, yeah. And you know, when you're living at the moment, that is fine. I, I would, I don't think anyone will really complain about that. It's, I suppose, you may as well make. hay while the sun shines, yeah. because it's going to be very, very lean yeah. autumn. And yeah. let, let's not even mention December, which is going to be carnage for the sector. Oh, because not even a lot of, go a lot there.
1: Places, the, the amount of stuff yeah. I'm already hearing. The, the well, that a would...
4: third, a third of most, a third of most um, restaurants make their profits a third of most restaurant profits are made in December and that carries them through from the, the first part of the, the, the year and um, that's not going to happen this year. Yeah. That's yeah. the reality. It's just how bad it'll be, we don't know.
1: Okay. All right, listen, Mike, we'll talk again soon and good luck to you. That's uh, Mike Ryan from the Cockbull and Corn Store, member of the Residents Association. And if were saying half 10, or it might have been 10, it was one or the other, uh, 10 or half past, they wanted the places cleared and as Mike said, if you do that... We might as well just not bother opening at all. 1850 A few people are calling in about bars and restaurants, getting uh, complaints about one bar in Cork have moved to an upstairs area. They're opening on weekends and charging €10 euro into this upstairs area, which includes food. There's a barbecue provided. They have no time restriction and people can stay there all night long. With a DJ and performers, oh, until the early hours. Places like this are what ruined it for everybody else, please keep my name anonymous. Uh, It makes my blood boil, says this uh, WhatsApp message, to hear of publicans and restaurant owners doing their best to follow guidelines when it is service as normal in one particular bar in my area. We know the area, we're just not mentioning it. Every day from 12, from the bar to the bookies, I'm back. No time limits, no bookings. No need to have food. Uh, message being, If look, if we put a pizza and a receipt down in front of you, you know you're being watched. Just eat it and say nothing. And also the other bars in the city and county, putting a pizza on every table. Or put the first two pints you order, put them through as pizza and give it to you on a receipt. It's up to you if you eat it or not. They should all be either open or all be closed.
0: This is Court's Gold Imro award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
5: Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696.
0: On Court's 96 FM.
1: Just staying with rules and regs for two minutes more. Then I'm going back to the Cataracts, boss. You know the way they've said to us that the wearing of face coverings or face masks, call them what you will, in shops and supermarkets and all that is now mandatory from next Monday the 10th of August well I'm informed that there's a thing called a statutory instrument that needs to be put through to make that or to give that legal effect (laughs) no sign of it yet according to uh, the Irish Statute Book website it's not there yet or at least wasn't there last evening which means that the statutory instrument or the little bit of article of law it's not there which like if they're going to make it mandatory make it bloody mandatory and do it properly like and i know that we'll come to the issue of masks next week uh, because from monday you can't go shopping without one i was in tesco last night and pretty much everyone pretty much everyone was wearing a face mask in Tesco last night. I was happy to see that in, in, in Mahan Point, but it's not happening everywhere. 1850 715 We were talking earlier to Dr. Derek Kilmartin, who's an eye surgeon, and he was saying that the cataract buses are not necessary. There's no need for them. The facilities are here to do it in Cork and Kerry. So why are we heading up, or why are people heading up in buses up to, to Belfast? And I mentioned in passing a name... Uh, who became synonymous with the first run of those buses and he's now a member of Cork County Council. That's Ben Dalton O'Sullivan. Hi Ben, good morning. Hi PJ, how are you? Good. Would you agree with Dr Kilmartin that there is no need to be going up there?
2: Look, um, I I don't agree with that, but look, I just want to say that um, I do agree with what he was saying, is that we need solutions locally. Um, Look, Michael Collins TD has been calling it for uh, four years, I've been calling through Cork County Council for the past year and looking for this for two years. But I, I don't accept there's no need for the buses because I have people ringing me who are 83, 84. They're living alone. Their site is failing. I'm not going to tell them I'll write to the CUH for the next 14, 15 months. I'm going to tell them if you've €1,200, Euro, I can get you seen in 10 days. That's the sort of service people want.
1: His argument is that the facilities are there in the private sector locally, through, and if the National Treatment Purchase Fund were being properly used, you could do it. You could, instead of sending someone to uh, the hospital in Belfast, they might head down for Agman's sake to the matter private, never done there.
2: Well, that that's not happening, PJ. You know, people ring me, they've looked into the scheme, they've been on to their doctors for two and three years. But PJ, uh, Belfast is a very easy solution for people. If they have the money that they can pay up front, uh, we can bring them to Belfast they'll get their money refunded. But the, the HSC haven't looked at this issue. The government haven't looked at the issue. Um, the National Treatment Purchase Fund is there, but it's not being uh, made available to the patients. They can't access it. Um, I have some patients who, uh, who looked to access this and couldn't, um, and that the cross-border is the next best thing. And, like, I, you know, from, from listening to him there, he said that uh, the buses aren't necessary and that it's an inconvenience for patients. Look, going to Belfast is... But PJ, you know, you get a group of Cork people together on a bus. There's a great uh, atmosphere going up. People have a a, a great time. They meet people. But um, I agreed it it should be looked better. They should be looking at this in Cork. And Michael Collins has been looking for a treatment unit in Bantry. Uh, I've been calling for um, a treatment unit in the city. Um, But the solutions aren't there and it's worth saying as well PJ that during one of the leaders debates the general election Hall Martin stood at the podium and he said that uh, it was a disgrace people had to go to Belfast and it needed to be sorted so look we'll give him uh, a couple of months now this, this needs to be sorted and people need to be getting their surgeries in Cork
1: If I were to call you today Ben and say look I, I have a cataract it's, it's getting worse and the doctor says it'll be a couple of years before I can get it seen to and I'm afraid I'll go blind what will you say to me?
2: I could say PJ if you have access to 1,200 euro I could get you your surgery and your consultation within 8 days
1: 8 days 8 days and how quickly will I get my money back then?
2: you'd be waiting about 6 to 8 weeks for your money
1: but I will get it and will I get and it will all? and
2: um, the only cost to you really would be the cost of the hotel which is about 100 euro and the cost of the bus which is about maybe 50 or, or 60 euro right. depending on what way the pricing works Right.
1: Crikey. Yeah. yeah. And, and and, you know, are you affected by social distancing and bus numbers
2: yeah, and stuff? Un, unfort- unfortunately, um, I couldn't run a bus there for the past couple of months. But look, I, I have 186 people on my list looking to go up before Christmas. Um, and that's for cataracts, hips, knees, tonsils, carpal tunnel, uh, what? everything. Oh, yeah, so we are gone beyond cataracts now? Oh, we are go- gone beyond cataracts. Um, Kingsbridge Hospital came down and met me uh, about four months ago. And I, I gave them the the list of people I had for different surgeries, and they said that they could do cataracts, hip replacement, knee replacement, carpal tunnel, uh, tonsils, and scans. Get yes. no off the stage. Yeah. So, uh, hip replacement... Huge. Huge. What yep. the heck? Hip,
1: hip,
2: hip replacement, knee replacement, carpal tunnels, everything. Christ. And, you know, so I, I'm offering that now if people going up looking for um, carpal tunnel, uh, hip replacement, knee replacement. And uh, that, yeah. but, you see, PJ, but, you like must... The private hospitals,
1: people. sorry, Ben, the, the private hospitals locally and up and down the country. They, they must be hopping up and down. Like, they could they could use that. They could do that. Yeah, Why, well, well, it, look, it, it makes no sense that you go to Belfast to get all this stuff done, and the cost is to the HSE, but they can't do yeah. it here.
2: Yeah, and you know, that that's something, like, I, I've been putting motions in Cork County Council. Michael Collins has been standing in the door. Uh, shouting about this, looking for solutions, but the solutions aren't coming forward from the government. And at the end of the day, PJ, if a woman a woman living alone in her age, who's was 83, 84, 85, I'm not going to tell her that I'd be writing to the Cuh for the next two years. I'm going to try and get her seen to her as quickly as possible. And look, the, the the facilities are there. If you look in Belfast to see how they're operating, it's like a dentist surgery. It's a tiny room, a tiny consultation room, and they they do it very efficiently. The surgery is 20 minutes and the job is done. But I, I think definitely, BJ, the solutions are needed here in Cork, but as soon as, as long as the government aren't acting, uh, myself, Michael Collins, Danny Healy-Ray, we, we'd we be there providing the buses for as many people as we can.
1: Now, how will Brexit affect this? Because we seem to be heading dangerously down the road of a no-deal Brexit and, and maybe a border. Hmm.
2: Well, look, it's very uncertain, but what I'm trying to do is get as many people seen before uh, December as possible because I think uh, December thirty first is the the cut off. So I, I'm just working towards that date and getting as many people up as I can. And um, like at the moment with COVID nineteen, the buses can't run. So I'm just swinging people and seeing if they go privately, if a son or daughter will be able to drive them up and uh, get them seen to, or they can go by train or, or by coach or something. But um, look, at me, PJ, like people think as well. This is a I think for elderly people. I, I've brought up people in their forties. And people who need this operation to stay in work and to keep their jobs, that, that, that's what we're up against. And look, the government aren't offering the solutions. I've wrote, to them, I've wrote to the minister's office a number of times. I've put motions in the council. Michael Collins has mentioned it enough times at all. But the plans aren't coming forward. And look, the, the government is just in the door. I want to be the person to ring you in 12 months' time and say, Micheál Martin, Stephen Donnelly were the two people who got this done. But PJ, you know, we have to wait and see.
1: What age are you, Ben? 20. You're some bit of stuff, lad. Keep it up. Jeez. Thanks very much, PJ. Thanks. Cheers. That's Councillor Ben Dalton O'Sullivan, 1850 715
0: This is Courts Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
5: us now, 1850
0: 715 996. On Courts, 96 FM.
1: Now there's a promising splink of sunshine out there on this uh, Friday morning as we head towards midday and the forecast for the days ahead, much improved on what they've been for the last week, week and a half. It's been raining for ages and looking at my favourite weather app, Dark Sky it's given a very promising forecast right up to maybe next Wednesday or Thursday, temperatures up into the low to mid 20s and very little by way of rain which means that a lot of people will head for the beach they'll head for rivers they'll head for lakes for a swim and that is fraught with danger on many levels not least the fact that there's been no water safety classes and water safety courses this summer because of covid and the prospect of a week of good weather which we all love to see, but it fills people like Graham Kerr uh, with trepidation because he's the chair of Water Safety Ireland in Cork. Graham, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks Great to see the on. weather. Gra- delighted to have you. Great to see the weather improving, but it fills you with worry. Uh,
13: yes, most definitely. Um, so as. My background is I have seven seasons beach lifeguarding with Cork County Council, but currently I'm, as you said, chairperson for Cork Order Safety. Um, I still have friends who are current beach lifeguards and they've informed me the numbers attending the beaches are higher than the past, which is completely understandable. Um, you know, everyone's staycasing or staycationing this summer. It's great to see, but with that, we also have seen a rise in incidents lifeguards have had to respond to and first aid missing children. So they have the work cut out for them, and unfortunately we can't um, provide the same education program as we normally
1: would this summer. Because you normally do little courses that might be on a beach like, say, Fountainstown or or Myrtleville. You run a, a safety program on a beach for the kids that are around and the adults as well, but you haven't been able to do that this summer.
13: Exactly. Uh, we would run what we call summer weeks programs, so a week of learning to swim or learning you know, invaluable water safety and life-saving skills uh, everywhere from Youghal in East Cork all the way towards Alleyes in West West Cork.
1: What are the concerns then over the next few days?
13: Um, high numbers attending the beaches, uh, going to beaches that aren't lifeguarded. So you know, the first thing we would recommend is swim at a lifeguarded waterway. In Cork, we're very lucky to have 12 uh, beach lifeguard teams across the county, um, mm. so we'd recommend people swim there, whether it's uh, from in Youghal, all the way out to Barley Cove near Head. Mm. and when you do swim there, swim between the red over yellow flags because this is the designated swimming zone, it's the safest place to swim on the beach, yeah. but ask people to listen to the lifeguards. Um, now, you mentioned already rivers and lakes, and while there's a big emphasis on beaches during the summer in Cork, of the 140 drownings that occur in Ireland, on average, uh, about 62% of these actually happen inland at rivers and lakes, so, you know, in Cork, there's, there's not lifeguards on rivers or lakes, mm. so we recommend people, if you want to go, if you want to get out of the house, go to the beach, swim between the flags, parallel to the shore, um, And listen to the lifeguards, let them be there for you, it's their job to help and protect you. Yeah,
1: yeah. For parents of of small children, advice for them? The
13: first thing, uh, lifeguards aren't babysitters. Um, Now more than ever we must work together to keep each other safe. So um, if you bring them to beach, keep a close eye on them. If worst case scenario happens and you do uh, lose track of your child your child was missing or if there's children are listening now and uh, they lose sight of the parents go straight to the lifeguards the lifeguards have a very good track record of reuniting children with the parents um within minutes especially with the new lifeguard stations on the beaches and the pa systems the other thing i would look out for if you're going to a beach that doesn't have lifeguards um, which are quite popular as well to so like some red strand in west cork or inch beach rip currents educate yourself about current. yeah i
1: was going to ask you about that like what is a rip current and and is there a way that you would know looking out onto the water that there's a danger of a rip current
13: yes so a uh, rip current is a localized powerful channel of fast moving water uh, at the beach so think of a river within the beach. The easiest way to spot them is uh, when you're standing on the beach. You might see waves coming in, the white water of the breakers coming in, and you'll see a flat, kind of flat cam space of water in between these waves. And this is a hazard in itself because people who aren't used to the open water will think, "I don't want to get, you know, thrown around uh, by the waves or smashed by the waves." So I'll swim in that nice flat cam area. Yes. In fact, this is actually the rip current, and this is what's going to cause. Because it's the
1: underneath the movement is.
13: Yes. is it? Yep. So it will happen where there's a break in sandbanks, so the, the rip current follows the path of least resistance and will pull people out. Now it won't pull you under, but it'll pull you out, Could pull you out of your depth. Um, and it's not the rip current that kills you, it's the panic and exhaustion, because swimming against rip current will not work. Um, they've been measured at e- uh, uh excuse me, they've been measured to travel as fast as 8 feet per second. Yeah. Just to put this into perspective, Michael Phelps' world record for the 200-meter freestyle was uh, just under 6.5 feet per second, so no one will beat the rip current. Yeah. The best way to, if you can't avoid them, say, avoiding them, the best thing to do is swim between red over yellow flags. For whatever reason, if you do find yourself stuck in a rip current, there's two approaches. If you're a weak non-swimmer or you're too tired, just float onto your back. Let the rip current pull you out. Save your energy and then put one clenched fist up in the air and call for help and use your other arm and your legs to keep you afloat. So float to live. Uh, the other thing, if you do have enough energy, if you're a strong enough swimmer, you don't swim against the rip current. You swim parallel or diagonally
1: out of it. Can you, get, can you get out of it? Yes. If you're, if you're a strong swimmer, can you can you get out of it to calm water quickly? Like, how wide are these things?
13: It, it depends on the topography of the beach. To be honest, they can be as wide as five meters, or they can be twenty meters wide. They can be as long as you know um, twenty meters long, or they can. Some beaches like in will have huge rip currents that will take you a couple of hundred meters out. It just really depends on the waves on the day and the topography
1: of you. You've the got beach. to be really, really, really careful. Something else as well, Graham. Um, inflatables, floaties, and no, no. Very much so. They're a,
13: a pet peeve of beach lifeguards. Uh, as far as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, and there is general consensus on this. They are not made for open water, and that goes for rivers and lakes as well. Yeah. They're made for the pool, and even then, under supervision of parents. Uh, recently, we heard of the, the two men that were um, rescued about two kilometers off Crosshaven. Yeah. In an inflatable kayak, and um, no life jacket. I think they'd lost the paddle, and it was taking on water. So, these are dead traps, because if there's an offshore wind, and especially if it's flat time, they will be blown so quickly away from shore.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's an awful lot to be reckoned with and an awful lot to be careful of. And one last one sure. that, that that I would throw in, and it's this, and I generally, I swim very little at home. So water's just too bloody cold for me. But there's a thing, like if you run tearing into the water, if, you go, if you're in Spain or a Mediterranean beach, you can stay there all day. Be wary of the temperature of the water.
13: Most definitely. Um, so internationally, uh, water that's 15 degrees Celsius or below is considered as cold and dangerously cold. On average, the water around cork doesn't really go above 16 degrees Celsius, and we have some of the warmest water thanks to the Gulf Stream in Ireland. So there's two things that can happen. There's one, hypothermia. A lot of people uh, know about this. When you're in the water too long, your body temperature drops a couple of degrees, you start to lose function of your muscles, you become disorientated. That can take 10, 15 minutes, an hour. What a lot of people don't know about is cold water shock, which is a physiological reaction to sudden immersion in cold water. And this can happen in seconds and you can drown because of it in a couple of minutes. Mm. What happens is when you suddenly end up in the water, you'll have a reaction to it. You'll gasp involuntarily, your muscles will seize up. Um, you might try and swim as hard as you can and you drain through your energy and then whether it's from maybe a heart attack if you have underlying uh, heart conditions mm. or inhalation of water yeah you can swallow them, water that's sure. Yeah,
1: yeah.
13: yeah people underestimate like how much you can uh, what effect this can have on your body so yeah. if you are going first give yourself a chance to acclimatise to the temperature of the water you know walk in slowly yeah. and maybe splash some water on your face yeah
1: so, um, get to use, get, get, get used to it, it'd be aware of it. Graham, as, uh, a, as I'm sure you'll agree with me, there are fewer pleasures in nature better than a swim in the sea, but we need to do it with incredible care.
13: Yes, and if, if you don't mind, I might just mention a great way to do it with incredible care, especially teaching kids, is seek out one of
1: our training centres. Oh, he's just dropped there. His line just dropped out of nowhere. That's Graham Kerr, uh, the chair of Water Safety Ireland, Cork. Literally just disappeared off my screen. Sorry about that. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Another form of bathing that does not involve water at all. Yeah, stay with me. We'll do that next. I mentioned uh, bathing without water. What? How do you bathe without water? It's it's a thing, and it's a big thing. It's called forest bathing. Grania Bagnall, what is it? Good morning.
15: Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having us on.
1: Delighted. What um, is forest bathing?
15: So, yeah, it's, it's great for your listeners to hear that they can be safe outside the water for those that don't like going into it. Um, here in West Cork, we've built a cluster of forest bathing guides trained by the Forest Therapy Institute. And we're facilitating forest bathing experiences in a number of great forests in West Cork. Going into court. Do, do I need it,
1: a togs? Like, do I need?
0: To, <laughs>
15: you do, you, no, most most common question asked. Do you need a togs? We actually won't be immersing our full bodies in the water, but if we have an opportunity, like in some of our forest sites, for a stream or waterfall or um, safeness towards water, we can immerse our hands and feet.
1: So, so they're forest, are forest is, walks, basically, is what they are.
15: Forest walks. It's uh, Japanese wellness practice. It came from Japan, and its name there is Shinrin Yoku. In the eighties, and the uh, some form is, of
1: yoga. I read a piece in the in the Guardian. It kind of a yoga experience, is this?
15: So we we won't be doing much exercises, uh, as in yoga. And um, we will take you for a two hour experience, and it's a voluntary invitations to reconnect with nature. So we focus in on your five key senses your sight, your smell your taste, your hearing okay. and your feeling So the you, are, your you
1: immersed yourself in the forest and, and the elements with
15: nature, gotcha, absolutely gotcha, gotcha.
1: And you're doing it in Cork McSherry
15: We do. We have done it in Cork McSherry The Manchester State, it's a private estate near Belle Neen We have a site visit at West Cork Secret out by Timalee Kilbritton We have the beautiful Cahar Beg Woods in West Carberry We've Cork McSherry, we've the Fernhill mm-hmm. House Hotel and Gardens and with the Castle Freak Woods.
1: And where all could we listed. find out more, Grania, if we wanted to try so, this?
15: On, if all your listeners can Google Forest Bathing West Cork, our website will be up soon. But meanwhile, we're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. So if they message us, we can take groups of minimum of six and a maximum of eight, all COVID-19 um, compliant. Is
7: That's there a 60. cost involved?
15: There's a cost. It's 30 euros per person with light refreshments at the end of okay. the two-hour session.
1: All right, sounds like fun. Forest bathing, immerse yourself in nature rather than in the water. Nice idea. Thank you, Grania Bagnell. 185715996. I think that's it. I think we're done, and I think we're dusted. <laughs>